0: Hello and welcome back after a very long hiatus, even by our standards, to The Game Pit. My name's Sean and here's Ronan.
1: Hello, you're all most welcome back. We're here with a Pit spit episode in which we're going to be covering 12 board games that we've been playing. Now, Sean, I usually use the word recently at this stage, but <laughs> mm, sort of recently, I can maybe remember when I wrote these notes.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about it now, looking back at the notes that I wrote many, many moons ago, thinking, why did I say that? <laughs> What is this game? (laughs) Build up the episode. Tell them it's going to be great.
1: (laughs) So this episode has been cursed. I mean mean cursed. And lots of things have happened to delay us getting a podcast out but st- sort of standard things, a tooth infection, uh, a-, a-, a bone contusion, a broken down car. Your internet just went out because of the st- storm Kira coming through Britain. So there's been loads of those sort of everyday life things, but obviously something massive also happened, Sean, and some people might not be following us on social media. But uh, but this was delayed by a very sad loss in our family.
0: Yeah, well, um, horribly around Christmas time, my my mum passed away. Um, over in Ireland, so we had to sort of up sticks, go over there and uh, and do what you need to do in seeing a in situation uh, like that. So we got really pushed back, and as Ronan said, many, many other things went wrong after that. We both managed to get a toothache within a day of each other.
1: Yeah, I've got the first of five... Five dental appointments to sort out my issue tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> 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 And, I mean you think you get a toothache alright I'll go to the dentist they'll do something you'll be done it might cost you some money no no we're going to give you something now you come back in two weeks and we'll start the five stage process the six visits to sort out a simple toothache that is what life has been like
0: just a little bit that was the thing that got me though I had a toothache I said I'm sorry I can't record I've got a toothache I haven't had a toothache in years and then the next day we were planning to record Rona's going you wouldn't believe it I've got a toothache (laughs)
1: Rachel was saying, just burn those notes, like this this episode is cursed, burn the notes, forget about it, never play those 12 games again. Bury
0: bury the laptops on consecrated ground.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I need an old priest and a young priest. (laughs) Anyway, we're here. Um, So, yes, obviously the loss of, of my aunt and your mother, big impact on us. So we didn't want that to go past without mentioning, because she's obviously... I mean, your mum and a huge impact on my life. So that that delayed everything. But, um,
0: you know, it, it is the way it is, right? It is the way it is. But uh, we're hopefully back now. Major disasters withholding. And uh, as Ronan said, we are going to go through some of the games that we've been playing recently. A lot of these are Essen games that we've picked up in Essen and finally got around to playing. And uh, one notable one is one a rather old one that Ronan is aghast that I would... Dare to bring into the show? <laughs>
1: I, don't know, I don't know. We could talk about old games. Is that you're talking about this game again? <laughs> it's got to be the fifth time you tried to get it on the podcast, and every time the day before you say, "Oh no, I don't know. I don't really want to talk about that one." I'm like, I'm just prepared, so I've got five sets of notes for this game. Still, never played it. So, <laughs> is coming up later. I don't know what Sean's going to say.
0: He's determined to say something. To be fair, when we were making the notes. I hadn't really had a lot of time to play games, so this was one I'd played just before. I are so... going to be
1: selfish. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what else has been taking up your time. You haven't got to how, be like that. How very dare I. <laughs> so, anyway, enough about our <laughs> litany of woes. It's all good. We have been playing some games now. It is getting back to normal, we hope. Here's your episode of The Pit Spit. 12 reviews coming up. And... We've got some more reviews and some retrospectives planned for the next couple of episodes, but we're going to stop talking about future episodes because we tell you it's coming next week and it comes two months later and we're going to try and break this terrible pattern that we've got into.
0: Yeah, so before we kick into the games, don't forget we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming goodness galore and of course the Dice Tower itself. And just to remind you, we have our Pit Spit videos on the Dice Tower feed now, so please go along and support them whenever you can.
1: So we're going to crack on and the first game we're going to cover for you this episode is Maracaibo. It's designed by Alexander Fister, the massive SM release, one to four player taking around two hours to play. Each of the players is a privateer in the 17th century Caribbean and there are different ways of playing the game in that there's a campaign system that's part of it but in each game you play each player is going to do four circuits off a board you're going to be stopping at various ports and islands in order to take different actions and at the end of those four circuits whoever scored the most victory points is the winner so we're going to break down how the game works firstly is movement so on your turn you're going to choose how many moves to make there are two different options to choose because sometimes there are different places on the board where you stop they'll give you particular actions but especially at the beginning the number of moves that you make before you stop is going to dictate how many action points you have to spend on what's called village actions and this is sort of the default thing to do if where you finish with your ship on this circuit has not got other things to do and What it allows you to do basically is make a very small amount of money because you're going to be making money throughout the game. And that money is mostly going to be used to lay out cards in a tableau in front of you. And those cards are then going to chain off each other, boost up various powers give you income in either points or in money, allow you to take different actions to other players or get assistance onto the board in various locations. And that's one of the things that you might do when you stop in an area where you have an assistant. Rather than take these default village actions, you might trigger an assistant to do various different stuff. And that's the first decision point that you're faced with in the game, Sean, is whether you want to do the full seven movement to get all three actions or skip along doing shorter moves to take actions to allow the player to develop in front of you like for example we've got an assistant that goes into space seven you might not want to pass it so you just take a couple of moves get that assistant out into the seven then jump to space seven and then the other players will be forging ahead and they might open up opportunities to themselves before you can and you might do the old mind sweeping going slowly and attempt to, to gather up what's left behind Thoughts on the movement, Sean, and your early decisions on how you're going to start shaping your game?
0: I think the movement, uh, once once I did play the game, it actually became incredibly important to who won the game, effectively, and how the game was played, because... It sets the tempo for the game. If somebody is racing ahead, doing the maximum amount of movement, maximum amount of movement, even though they do slow down right at the end because you can only move one space towards the end of the board, it really does race the game up. And so if you have placed loads of assistants, say, and you're trying to hoover up your assistants and you've gone down that path, then it becomes quite difficult if somebody is racing ahead and getting the round finished before you can visit all your assistants.
1: I agree with you. And and if a player decides that it's to their benefit of just completely rushing around, there are certain strategies that just won't work as well. And in fact, the whole game won't work as well. You kind of need everyone to be engaged in taking actions and, and setting themselves up for later in the game. And I think especially... With new players, especially if you're later in the turn order, sometimes you look at that board, there's nothing really on there, and you're like, there's three places I want to go on this board. I'm going to go that city, that city, this city, and I'm done. And then the players who have played a few times might be thinking, I'm going to get this assistant out, and I'll lay that down, and I'll start off on the Explorer track, and suddenly the game's whizzing past them, and they're like, whoa, 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 oh no, I can't get half my plan in place. But... I, I'm not sure I see that as a negative. The fact that players can impact how you play, and it also makes every game different.
0: For me, it, it did feel slightly negative in that I was kind of channeled down a path I couldn't explore. Is that like I, a sea joke? Hey, I couldn't explore. What about the flow of the game? What? <laughs> shut your mouth! Man. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't explore what I thought was the most interesting and enjoyable part of the game which was the assistants because you get these different characters in and they're in different parts and it it changes your game from everybody else's otherwise all, all the spaces are very much the same and you can all visit the same spaces it kind of honed your tactics and how you wanted to do it so if I wanted four or five assistants out on the board
1: Nah, four or five's too many. Yeah, you're trying it, to play right? like yeah. you're trying to play a solo Euro game where you're setting up your own engine and your own. Time. Oh, if I run this, I'll make all this money. And it's not. It's a game of privateers. It's a game yeah. of taking chances and going. Oh, right, no one's going to that. See, if I jump seven ahead here, I'll get in there before them, and then they'll go ahead of me there. But maybe I'll take a different route. And it's not that heads down. I'm just building a tableau, and I'm going to run my engine. It's what's going on around me, where are the best opportunities, is this the right time to sail far, is it a time to hang back? That's what I found with it.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. So therefore, it wasn't really the game that I thought it was going to be, from reading the rules, which I did struggle with, actually, we'll come back to that, and... I I wanted to build my own sort of journey. I wanted to build my own characters that were helping me. And I thought the individual solo economic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know what
0: you wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that was the interesting part to me. And the fact that people could concentrate on maybe one or two tactics and completely usurp what I was trying to do quite easily, that, that irritated me a little bit.
1: Okay, good. I like it when you're (laughs) rotating. It means you're not sitting there just winning, which is what you do a lot. All right. (laughs) There are other places you can go on the board. So we talked about assistance, talked about taking the village actions. There are cities which are set up. Now, they're variable. There's a couple that are always in. Uh, There's one printed on the board, and then there's a little bit of variety. But when you go to the cities, there's always the same options. You can trade, uh, which will allow you to start upgrading your own ship, and then you can take the city action. Now, in terms of trading each city is looking for a particular type of good the cards that we're talking about that you get in your hands that you generally spend money to get out which will give you all these various powers and assistance and different things they also have various other things on them as well as the cost and what the benefit on the left hand side there's two different icons now the first icon is the trade good icon and you just have to have a card of that trade good in your hand go to the city hand it in and then you can trade when you trade, you take a disc off your own shipboard, and when you take two discs off the same space, that gives you an upgrade. Now, there are lots of different upgrades on there, 12, I believe, and they allow you either to take more actions from taking fewer moves, or they give you access to different actions, or they give you a straight-up bonus in money or points, or they give you all sorts of different ways in which you can individualize how you play each individual game. My problem with that, Sean, was that when you trade, if you can trade, is just lock of the draw. Now, if you're planning ahead, there is always a, f- a tablet of a handful of cards, and if the right trade good is out, you can spend one money in order to take a particular card into your hand from that from that offer, or, or you can just draw for free at the end of your turn. You always refill your hand from top of the deck. But if you just, by luck, can't get hold of the right trade good to go to the city that opens up to you, it can really stymie you. And if you get behind in upgrades... I think you're going to really struggle to win the game unless you're very good at specifying what upgrades you want. And because, as we were just saying there, sometimes it's an opportunity that you think someone's going to a city because there are usually limited trade areas, and they don't go to it, and suddenly you're like, oh, now I get a chance to whiz ahead and trade there. Oh, but I didn't know that, and I didn't take the right card, and I happened by luck not to have the right card. That was
0: irritating. I didn't find the actual ship upgrades to be... Like they, they were important obviously but I didn't you're mental they, I didn't find they were important to branch out too much I thought I found we found in our game that if you concentrate on the thing that's going to enhance your tactic in the game you're a, you're able to influence nations and basically go to war for nations it's not as deep as that in the game but if you enhance that part of of your game, and, and keep it at that. There's no real need to be, to be going to the other enhancements on the ship because you, that's your focus. That's your tactic in the game. And once you've got that running, if that's the way you're going to play the game, I don't see the point in really branching out too much.
1: Did you play two-player? Three. Three, did you? Sounds really like you weren't interacting that much. <laughs> because if someone... So, so combat is almost like a mini game by itself and you can trigger combat by visiting a city or towards the end of a turn you can trigger combat or there are a couple of other ways of doing it and in, in effect in combat you flip over a card and you can fight for one of the three nations who can hire you Spain, France or England and whoever you fight for at that particular time gives you a certain number of action points and you can spend those action points to conquer uh, cities on the board And when you do that, whenever a nation conquers a city on the board, a cube gets taken out of their stock, in effect. And although it might not stay on the board, if it gets replaced, it gets thrown out, it doesn't go back in their stock. And the more cubes that have been spent over the course of the game, the more points you will get for having taken actions for that nation. Now, sometimes during combat, sometimes you get influence with nations in other ways. And by upgrading your ship, you can expand the areas in which you can put cubes onto the board. and You can start putting them into villages and, and stuff like that and, and make combat and, and spread the influence of the different nations. It's like a completely separate action point game. What you can do, though, is, or what we found after a few games, is that, look, if someone's going combat heavy and they're fighting constantly for France and they're getting all the France cubes out of the stocks and making being part of France valuable. I just then concentrate on doing the other things that allow me to get influence with France. And then their hard work in the combat that's fine. I'll just also move up the France influence track so that I'm going to you know the difference in points is not going to be that big between us. So sure take keep taking French cubes off, I don't mind. You might score a handful of points more than me, but you're working hard to do it. So I found it was more of a fine balance in that combat area, especially if only one person is trying to do it.
0: Would you agree that you have to concentrate on that combat and that influence area? Is there's no real other path to victory unless you are mindful, at least, and competitive in that area.
1: No, I don't think so. I think there are other routes to go down, but you have to read what's going on on the board and you have to play the cards that come your way. And if the cards come your way, for example, that so there are five tokens, and you can gain them by building certain cards, and they trigger the powers on other cards. So, it, so if I build a port, it gives me an anchor token. Then all my anchor powers trigger. If you can get a good combo of that, and really then drive your money income or or points income, and drive that upwards, and then from that money income, there are four end game scoring cards in each game. And you don't get to see them, they're revealed at the beginning of each round, and they're expensive, it costs you 20 gold to go on them, and they'll score you points for having done certain things. But if you can then go, right, I'm going to make enough money to trigger two or three of these, and I can see what the early ones are, and I'm going to go for them. So that that what wants me to do what? That wants me to have a certain number of compasses, for example. Right, great, I'm now going to keep every compass card, I'll spend gold to get compass cards out of the offer, I'll build up a whole load of compasses, and that's going to score me as many points as the influence for a nation would score me. And if once I've upgraded my ship, actually just nipping a bit of influence in the nation is not that hard. Like I say, so so that gap doesn't get massive. In early games, I found because, uh, and this kind of links into what you said about the rules, because the combat is a completely separate game to explain, players don't really play it. They just sort of go, oh, I don't really know what you're talking about, mate. So I'm not. And I found that a lot when I was teaching that they're like, oh, well, I avoid combat. And then once they see how powerful it can be, they tend to then get smarter and be like, oh, no, I don't have to concentrate on it, but I can nip away.
0: That's what I mean. Though you can't ignore it, it's a, it's a facet of the game that you can just you just cannot ignore that. And if you do ignore it, you're going to lose the game. As far as but
1: that's like saying you can't ignore getting income or getting a couple of assistants out.
0: Okay, but you can't, you have to be competitive in it. You can't no, let somebody no, no, no!
1: I don't. Away. You don't. I don't think so. too
0: there. I, I think it's all nonsense. There's too many points in in that in that facet of the game.
1: Yeah. Listen, we've been away for a long time. You're probably used to being wrong a lot, and you know, <laughs> you, know you haven't had me to correct you. But you can, you're wrong. That's fine. Don't worry about
0: that. Move on.
1: <laughs> okay. Something else I really didn't like the quests in the game. Now it might be because I'm. Um, really terrible at them. But there's this idea that there's there there are quests and there's a story ongoing. The story we'll get to right at the end, but this idea that you go on quests and you're like, oh quests, and I'm a pirate and that's exciting. But quests are where I said trade, you hand in one card with a trade good on to trade. With quests, there's another icon next to the trade icon and there's three different ones and you hand in three the same to to fulfill a quest usually. And it's just go to a space, hand in three cards, take a token and get a bonus. That's not quests. It's a weird little set collection thing, and again, the ability to have three the same in your hand. Your hand size starts at four. It can be a bit lucky. Mm.
0: Agreed. No, agreed. It wasn't. It wasn't very thematic, and you you do have the potluck element definitely, which kind of leads me into the the story element of the game. I'm not sure that I necessarily will play with the story element. I don't think it gives enough to the game to, to, to warrant it, really. What do you think?
1: Yeah, the changes aren't huge. So the idea is that you start off with a certain setup and it says, here's a thing you have to do. And once someone does that thing, you reveal the next card. Uh, and very slight spoilers, it starts off and you, a plague basically breaks out in one corner of the board. And then things start happening from there. And yeah, then you're supposed to be going looking for a doctor to help out. And then it doesn't go so smoothly with a doctor. And then over the course of the whole thing, this idea is that you, you can play up. And wherever far you get in the story, it's very easy to just sort of like, put that away. There's a special blue bag. You put stuff in. And the next time, it's almost the same as setting up a normal game. It just says, put out these tiles because you got this far. Or the tiles that are in the blue bag. And there you go. Continue. This is the next story thing you can do. And they are minor changes, especially to start with. But to me, once I played it sort of four times, on the fifth game, I was like, yeah, let's start doing the story. So I taught different people, but at home, I was like, let's, let's do the story. And it was just that little tiny change was enough for me to go, oh, that was a little bit different. Okay. And then the next thing, oh, that's a little bit different. And then it's a very underwhelming, very gentle story poke, which is why I don't really want to call it a campaign or a legacy game. Over time... Those small changes create big changes on the board and you start getting different routes and pirate hideouts and weather and stuff and different things happen. But it's a very gradual move and you're still playing Maracaibo very similar to the, to the first game. So I actually, I like it, but I'm aware of how gentle it is.
0: So, Renan, I've given the impression that I, I didn't particularly like my, my initial games of Maracaibo. It's not actually true... I'm I'm very interested in the game. I just... There was a couple of fiddly bits that I've touched on that just irritated me slightly. And maybe it is because I do like to turtle up, do my economy, leave me alone, that kind of thing. Maybe I have to think slightly differently in this. I do think that it was a little bit easy to speed up the game in the games that I played. Downtime, if you're not doing the, the battle influence sort of thing... Everyone else seems to be doing a hundred types of things, and your you are just your turns are very quick, so I felt like in an hour and a half game, I probably played twenty minutes of it, and everyone else played the other game the rest of the game so that that was a slight issue for me, but I think I've got a lot to learn in this game. I still want to play it, I'm still interested in it. There are elements of great Western Trail, but i right now Great Western Trail is vastly superior in my estimation, but Maracaibo still has legs for me. So
1: I like it a fair amount. I really do like the combo powers. I'm not sure about the quests. We didn't really go over the exploration track and compasses. Mm, You need a longer game for that to work, and you don't know if it's going to be a longer game, because as Sean says, the players can drive the game to finish quicker, but I quite like that, because you don't always know what experience you're going to get into. I really like the ship upgrade system that you can divert yourself down certain routes and it can change each time to me it feels much more interactive than great western trail which is why i like it more than great western trail i think great western trail is a good game and i'll play it i especially like it with the expansion but it's not one i'd ever ask for It's but, but but decent this one i can understand why the lack of control would be frustrating for some and sean found it frustrating and i think that's a real tipping point between our two tastes where The lack of control for me and the changes and I don't exactly know what's going to happen and the different cards and someone might do this bit crazy it'll take me out of my happy place. I would be happy with it. Sean would rather have a pattern and a structure and be able to put his plans in place. In in this sort of a Euro, there's no real flavour to the game. I'm not really feeling like a privateer. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but we've started the campaign. We're playing through it. I think we will continue to play through the 10, 12 games, whatever it will take us to finish the campaign, and I'll be very happy to have played that, but I don't think it will keep coming out in 10 years' time. So a very good attempt for me, but no masterpiece. Maracaibo.
0: Okay, so now we're going to move on to Reavers of Midgard designed by J.B. Howell and coming from Gray Fox Games. So this is a follow-up to Champions of Midgard. It's very much another worker placement game. And if you know Champions of Midgard, you are essentially gathering resources to then go out and combat monsters and giants, etc. And this is along those lines, but it does expand that world. You're not just going out fighting quests. You are... Bring in Vikings into, into your crew. The Viking cards in themselves are one of the most important parts of the game and interesting facets of the game. So you're going to get your Viking cards, and they are going to dictate three different things that you can use them for. One of them is getting dice into your hands to go on those quests. Another one is setting your leader, and your leader is going to effectively make the dice of that color more effective. And last up is an ongoing power. You're going to tuck them under your player board and use them as an ongoing power for when you are placing your workers, uh, your worker, out on the board. It's another worker placement game in the, very much in the, the mold of champions of Midgard, and the difference is is it expands the world. There's more than just going on quests and killing monsters in this one, Ronan. What do you know about it? What would you like to ask?
1: So Champions of Midgard, quick recap. Didn't love it.
0: I remember, yeah, you had problems. You liked it a lot more, yeah. Yeah,
1: okay. So we're we're starting from that base. So I haven't played Reavers of Midgard. Mm -hmm. And looking, doing my research, you know, to come up with some things to chat about, it seems to be a very conflicting opinions exist on this game so some of the things i'm going to ask you sort of a 50 50 mm-hmm. i'm going to start with one of your favorite areas because when i look through the comments and the reviews i see two big swings in terms of appearance artwork how it looks on the table i'm seeing the word beautiful i'm seeing the word i saw basically <laughs> describes us <laughs> you could be the judge which is which what are your thoughts on the looks because i know you like a good looking game it's
0: a funny one <laughs>
1: no no it's beautiful or oh, I saw this was a 50-50 experience. the art
0: in in of itself is is nice art fairly bog standard in terms of it's not going to win any prizes. but I think when you put that board out before you lay out the cards and what have you it is quite busy and it it, it kind of from a distance it looks a bit of a mess when you get a bit closer it's all fine it all works it didn't it didn't leap out on me as a a beautiful game i got the kickstarter version so i had the the wooden components etc but other than that i wouldn't say it was a great looking game no Uh,
1: related somewhere to that is that i'm also seeing comments of symbol overload sean so you said it built on champions of midgard but uh, in, in spreading out and giving that variety, is it given too much? And is there too much to take in and too many symbols for for the flow of the game?
0: They use too many words to describe things. They make things complicated for themselves. That's,
1: that's us on this
0: podcast. <laughs> it really is. It really is. They make things complicated for themselves. Like there is only like a handful of places you can go, but they make it sound like there's... 20 places you can go you can't you're placing one worker per turn and then everybody gets to follow you and whether they want to do that action as well and the people as they follow they get slightly less reward for doing the same thing but again it's their chance to get the extra actions in but there is only a set amount of actions and they do make it feel like like there's there's a lot more going on than there actually is
1: and in terms of symbols themselves, is it is it in terms of learning what they all do?
0: The game is actually fairly easy to learn. I didn't have a problem with symbols. Normally, if there's a big heap of symbols and all doing different things, I, I have difficulty. But I don't see where that problem's come from. I haven't seen those comments, and it certainly didn't. It wasn't a barrier for me. For uh, sure. If you're calling me a liar, just say it. <laughs> I always call you a liar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're saying there that someone chooses it and you can follow along. Yeah. one of the good points that's being made is that that creates a lack of downtime that on it on everyone's turn everyone else is making a decision and that's a generally accepted to be a positive.
0: Yes and no. Oh, it was generally accepted but not by you <laughs> not not 100 you are involved because you are interested in where people are going. And you do get a chance to act. But when you do come to downtime, there's a lot of fiddliness about the game where cards on people's turns chain off each other and do things and decisions on cards. And you can, if someone's got even a little bit of AP, they can sit there for sort of two, three, four minutes and you're waiting for them to finish so the, the next turn can begin. So it can it can be definitely downtime in this game. But that may be a player problem rather than the game.
1: All right. You're calling me out. You're calling out the players you played this (laughs) without, I get it. And linking into that then, all right. So there may or may not be downtime. We haven't got to... Maybe that that links into the symbols thing, right? Because I don't know what your symbols do on your cards over there. Therefore, maybe I understand my turn, but I don't understand your turn. Would that be...
0: No. Uh, no, not really. No, you're not. You're not no, really that. No, just talking. What
1: say? You're talking rubbish. It's you, fine.
0: You are talking rubbish because you're not really that invested. Once someone's taken a turn, as in place their worker, you're not really that fussed about what they're doing. So you know, they they, they <laughs> go off and play their own little game while you think about what you're going to do next. <laughs> as,
1: as, as reavers, you don't really don't care what everyone else is doing. Okay, really? that downtime thing was always linked into another comment: was the overall game length. And again, I'm hearing varied reports, some epic, massively long games, other games short. And obviously that's always dependent on the group. We know that. But your thoughts on the overall game length of Reavers and Midgard?
0: Well, this kind of feeds into my over, overarching thoughts on the whole game itself, Ronan. I think that this game is essentially two rounds too long because there is a definite pattern to play. Early on, you'll getting your Vikings and your leaders. Now, Viking cards themselves, when you take a card, you have three choices. You can use the card for the dice that you get immediately. And the dice go towards doing quests. We'll talk about those later. You can use them to place the card as your leader on your ship that which means that the yellow leader will make the yellow dice more effective and give you a small a small boon when you when you place them there and lastly you can place them under your player board as an ongoing power so if someone visits a certain area of the board then you've got a power that reacts to them going to that area or yourself going to that area so very much you're going to start by getting those cards into hand and everyone's going to be sort of vying for the, the better positions in getting those cards. But towards the end of the game, you're very much ignoring that because you're, you've got that engine set up and that becomes a, almost a dead area on the board. So it, it transfers too quickly to the point where that's a dead area and then it condenses and there's not that much area on the board runner. And so it becomes very repetitive and you're doing the same things and you're fighting over the same two or three spaces every turn. So it just feels that it's that little bit too long. I think if the game was a little bit shorter, that sort of movement from one area to another would feel a bit more dramatic. Dramatic, <laughs> dramatic. It's ravers, <laughs> ravers of Midgard. Come on, that's deep. Okay, <laughs> I got one more thing to throw at you.
1: You almost summed up there. One more complaint that I heard was that the hidden point scoring is too much with the objective cards, and you may not necessarily know what people are going for to score points. Yeah, it's you- always a hard thing to balance in the game those hidden objectives because people like them, so you don't know exactly who's winning. But if I don't know what you're going for, how how do I know what to do? Hundred percent.
0: Yeah. So in in every area, so there's there's hidden objectives and there's also set collection. And with the hidden objectives, they're not, well, well, they're essentially not hidden. There's always three on display and they're end of game scoring for, for getting X amount of these or X amount of those. And the same with the set collection, there's always a certain amount on display at all times, but you can always top deck, especially some of the bonus powers require that you take from the top of the deck. So People could end up with maybe five to ten cards. That nobody knows what they've got. So it's a big amount of cards to not know what people are going for, to deny them. So
1: Fair enough. My my parting comment here is is to take one of the comments on BGG. <laughs> this was in bold, all right? right? So New Zealand Neil wants the world <laughs> to know this because he put it in bold. Because not a lot of the comments are in bold. You think, oh, I'm fine to put it. But here you go from New Zealand Neil. It says, and I'll quote exactly... My sixty seventh KS board game purchase. Congratulations to Neil, shall we?
0: Ah, uh, mere be beginner, but go on. What is that in bold? <laughs> Why do I need to know this? Why th- you see, the Neil keep your own records. I don't, The world doesn't need to know. <laughs> no,
1: it struck me. I wrote it down. I thought I better say it. That
0: was it. That was it. I thought. I thought. That you, was it. I thought there was going to be a big, long, insightful comment from Neil. No, no in bold. It. My sixty seventh KS board game purchase. All right, thanks, mate. Right, okay. Obviously, sixty-seven has a is a number that means a lot to Neil. Well done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Always his dream to get to sixty-seven. Look, I play Reavers of Midgard. I'd play Reavers of Midgard with a beer in me. Uh, I'm going to Iceland soon. Maybe that would be the time. I don't know. I'm not that excited. Are you?
0: Right, right I was a big fan of Champions of Midgard. One of the reasons I was a big fan of Champions of Midgard something that you didn't like about the game was the rolling of the dice and you may succeed and you may not. You could obviously tilt the scales in your favour. In this one, I have... My, never my,
1: my concern was more how much you could mitigate those rolls and the rolls became pointless because you could mitigate them to the point of, well, I'm always going to win if, as long as you prepared well enough. Yeah. So it was boring. Okay,
0: so this one is even worse than that, Go! The, the, you Go! I have never failed a roll in Reavers and Midgard. I've never seen anybody fail a role in Reavers of Midgard. Too many ways to mitigate against it. Too easy. There are absolute certain ways to go when you are to win the game. And there's like three areas that you have to visit to win the game. Therefore, Reavers of Midgard is going to be leaving my collection as soon as I can get it out the door. I really didn't enjoy it. I've played it three or four times now. And if I never play it again... I will be a happy man.
1: Bargain uh, price, copy of Reeves and Midgard in the air con, Bring them by.
0: Absolutely, if I don't get rid of it <laughs> in the trade. <laughs>
1: <laughs> going to a new home soon. Okay, that was quite damning. I like it. You're you're angry
0: Sean, today. Uh, really disappointed. Very disappointed. Don't
1: know Murakabo. Hate Reeves and Midgard. At least we're going to come to one that I know you love next. <laughs> 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 he's killing the golden lamb here we go people prepare yourself for sean's review of aquatica <laughs> it is wonderful player 60 minutes ivan tozovsky coming from cosmodrome and you must have heard of aquatica by right now and this game the only sure thing i can tell you about it is obviously there's a limited amount of copies available at the moment whether it's been announced yet or not i'm not sure it has been picked up by a publishing partner. It is going to be more widely available, I'm guessing, around Gen Con. Unless you've heard different by now because the news is being kept close to chests. But it was a, a big sort of buzz hit at Essen, this game card game set underwater in which you have a small deck of cards and you play them in order to claim more cards which are locations which have a novel mechanism in that you activate them and you push them up and you have to get them all the way and use all the different areas on them so there's like little bubs down the left side and as you use one you push it up and they trigger all sorts of different powers and in the end basically all you're doing is trying to claim lots of these lands by pushing them all the way up and then claiming them and they'll score you points And it is a new and novel system, but the one thing for sure is that this game is going to be drowned by the expectations that are being heaped on it by the hype. Do you like drowned? you like that? Yeah, I've got a lot of aquatic jokes in this one, but (laughs) they're probably more subtle if you don't play the drums in the background. I have
0: to. If if you're going to crack the one-liners out, you're going to get a... Turn my mother-in-law, please.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I kind of feel like I need to counterbalance the hype, Sean. Like, this is but not so much a review as, whoa, everyone, take it easy on this poor little game. I'm sure they published it going, here's our little hour-long card game. It's got a cool little mechanism. Maybe people will like it, and then they've just been flooded with all this, ah, I need to get a copy. <laughs> well, it is gorgeous. It has a fun theme. It has a new way to utilise the cards. It's a very fast game. Very fast. For us, Sean, we're now playing a two-player game in 30 minutes or under.
0: You? Yeah, we were certainly at the 40-minute mark. Haven't played it as much as you, but one thing I will correct you on. Generally, the art is beautiful. The people, a bit uncanny valley. A little bit uncanny valley.
1: They're aquatic. Their bones form differently because they're (laughs) under different pressures. (laughs) But Aquaman, you're from two different worlds. (laughs) She has lungs and you have gills. Or the other way around. Something like that. Something like that. No, no, he has got gills. He is Aquaman. Right. (laughs) Um, Because it's a race to goals. So the game is going to end when either the deck of characters or the deck of locations runs out. I've seen the locations run out, but it's always actually ended on the goals for me. And they start with four printed on the board. There's a whole bunch of different ones. So each game can be different. You can be racing different things, but it is a race. And the goals are not that hard to get to. It's not a long-term plan. It is a boom, 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 grab them. And that's what makes the game so fast. Which is why I think there's going to be disappointment, because this is not the big Euro hit. Of Essen 2019. Because it's not a big Euro game. It is in fact a super filler. And it's cool. And it looks great. And I really enjoy my plays of it. But it doesn't stick around. And I'm not sitting there forever going. Oh wow yeah great. Oh that game of aquatica, That was very clever. It was you did really well. You raced. You got a combo together. The powers that you had triggered off the locations that came out. You, I could get Shark Bay locations easier. You could get Shipwreck locations easier. More Shipwrecks came out. That gave you an edge. You played really well and you won. And it's always someone else won. It's never me. But that's okay. I'm really bad at it. And I like it for that. For what it is. I just think it, it's setting itself up for a fall. And there's going to be a backlash when it becomes available. From the heavier cooler geek gamers. Sorry, I don't mean to do that as a pejorative, but you know, the ones that are on board game geek, the same way wingspan got. The the
0: heavier gamers, you're calling me fat. (laughs) I don't have to say anything, man. You've got mirrors in your house. (laughs) I
1: took all mine down, so I don't have to admit it. (laughs) Um, And that's
0: where I am, Sean.
1: Is it even as heavy as wingspan?
0: It's of that ilk. Uh, what you're going to find from me in, in this review, Roland, is the word "fine" used quite a lot. Is it because I is fine? Because you is fine, guy. Is it? <laughs> That's what I was thinking, guy. <laughs> <laughs> you're a fine man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's all very nice. It, it's fine. I like the race element. Means it does really ramp up. You you will be surprised on your first couple of games how quickly the game ends because you you go from s- nobody having any of the any of the tokens on on the targets to somebody winning like because they've got all four out like whoa how did you get all them out so quickly? Well, I did this, I did this because things do chain together really quickly and yeah, it's fine. It's a nice chainy chainy togethery game. But, again, it didn't rock my rock my socks, rock my world. Rock my world, that's the one. Yeah? Didn't coral your socks? <laughs> it didn't coral my socks or wreath me nose. Ah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> This is getting disturbing.
1: Let's not talk about you and Starfish. <laughs> Oi. You live, you live leave Pete out. I love oh, Pete. <laughs> Pete, he's free now. We got him out of your clutches. <laughs> It's good, it's quick, it's fun, it's pretty. Will it be in my top 10 of 2019? Probably not, unless it really sticks around because Rachel and Ellie really like it and it's, like I say, so quick to get out and play and we know it. There's a possibility as we go through all different goals we find that they give it enough variety that it does keep coming out as to fill that sort of a gap so it might squeeze in but it's certainly not going to be way up there it's not going to be in the top 5 it's just a nice pretty game and if the expectations do not overwhelm it in the tidal wave that sure to uh, greet its announcement of coming out again and it's given a chance to just breathe in its own little game in space. It's a very good game for people to enjoy who enjoy. Now I saw I saw a good alternative to Gateway game, by the way. Go on, then. Foundation game. Foundation game. Because it sounds like, you know, you know, I've got, a, I've got a good foundation here. And you can you can stick on a foundation, you're solid. Gateway sounds like you should be playing 1886 in six months' time and huddling in corners. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm not sold yet. Strong. Looks forward. I need a bit of tickling on that one. <laughs> so Aqu- Aquatica for me, I don't think there's actually that many options on the cards. So it leads to at least the game's always been a little bit samey. I've never really seen a different game of Aquatica. And my only other issue with the game was that some of the kings are better than, the, than others. Because you all start off with an asymmetric king, don't you?
1: Yeah, but once you know the game, you're supposed to do that reverse drafty thing.
0: Yeah, true, true. That's a good point.
1: So I think you just don't do it because it's so quick. You kind of go, oh, I don't worry about it, have a random king. And then it feels a bit unfair. But the actual way is in reverse player order, you do a reverse drafty styly and then,
0: you know? Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's a fair point.
1: Thank you. And you make a fair point. And I think you're overly harsh on it myself. I think it's a it's a fine game, but fine, not just fine. It's fine. You know, different it's grades fine. of fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. talking about uh, drafty, drafty scenes. We are going on to draft <laughs> that's, that's seamless, s- seamless.
1: Speaking of games in which you have a handful of dinosaurs, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Draftosaurus.
1: I squeaked when I was laughing there. Maybe I'll leave that in. Carry on. <laughs>
0: Designed by. Antoine Bowser, Corentin Labatt, Ludovic Morblanc, and Theo Rivere, and coming from Ankama. Draft the source, Ronan. It's drafting dinosaurs and building a little tiny version of Jurassic Park. Essentially, I know you've got to play this one because I bought it for you <laughs> so that you can play it at Christmas. It was supposed to be at Christmas, but things went slightly awry at Christmas. But... A very, very simple premise in that you're holding a handful of dinosaurs, you choose one, and you pass them pass them on, and you're going to score points in different ways for them, Ronan. What's not to love? So basically,
1: <laughs> you bought the game, and I went, it's a game in which we have a handful of tiny dinosaurs that we're going to draft. And then I went... It's a game in which we got a hand of tiny dinosaurs. And we should draft them, Johnny. <laughs> How cool is that? And it was cool. And it works as a game. Never mind the fact I got to play with little dinosaurs. The game itself works. It, it really does. It's
0: You're actually watching what everyone else has got. You're thinking, right, if I... If I'm collecting, because there's there's areas in the board where, like, you put all the same dinosaur, there's areas where you have to put completely different dinosaurs in each pen, and you've got an area that says, like, oh, if I've got the most at the end of the game of this particular dinosaur, then I'll get points. So you're looking at the hands that you've got think, right, okay, I've I've got three of the green brontosauruses or what have you if i let that go round there's a good chance that'll come back to me so yeah i'll probably put that one in the one where i have the pen with all the same dinosaurs so you are thinking right from the off and you're watching what other people are selecting
1: and then you've got a choice to make of how mean you want to play <laughs> yeah. based probably on the average age of players because this for me is going to
0: work with players
1: from 6 up
0: yeah yeah james can certainly play it not not brilliantly He's seven now, but he can play it, and he knows what he's doing and what he's aiming for.
1: So you know, if you're playing with James, or if you're not his parents, who obviously you play with a little bit of hate in your heart because they ruined your life,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you play a bit
1: nicer. Then, if we were because you could easily play this, it's literally a ten minute game where you're making something. You could play it with adults. Definitely fills a hole. It's fine. And then you can draft really meanly and you can really (laughs) stitch each other up. And it would work. Absolutely. And the fact is that those boards are – you look at it and you go, this is going to be easy because you can always place a dinosaur. And that's why I think it works with younger kids. They'll never get completely frustrated. And they won't probably be that bothered if they're putting it where it scores one point or they're putting it where it scores three points. But when you're playing with adults – They will be bothered if they're putting it where it scores one or three points because they know two more of them and they're out of the game, they're not going to win. And that's all you know, that's a a nice trick to pull off that it works both ways.
0: It does, and we say it often, but this one really doesn't outstay its welcome. 15, 20 minutes, and you. Can- I just
1: said ten. Why are you gonna? What are you gonna play
0: me? <laughs> I've just seen. I play a bit slower than you, and you can play. You can play a double game. So there's a longer game because the boards are double sided. Again, there's different scoring on either side of the board, and you can play with both sides and double them up. So for like a twenty minute game in Ronan's world, a half an hour game in my world. <laughs> <laughs> we well, can
1: say twenty or thirty minutes. You haven't got to call me out. So. yeah and the fact that you're setting what each dinosaur is worth to you and it's different to each player around the world that is kind of the key to a good drafting game mm-hmm. that once you've made a couple of selections the value of these things then become individual and then you've got a multiple-faceted choice to make and look in a let's call it a 15 minute game to please Sean <laughs> you know it, it works really well it's a really nice game all ages thank you for buying it for us Sean we really enjoyed it we were laughing and abusing each other and it's going to come out again and I would never have bought it in a million years so thank you for bringing it to my attention
0: yeah so yeah I I really enjoy it just one little thing quickly Ronan I actually think it's a really tiny facet of the game but the rolling of the die you pass the die along and the first player rolls the die and everyone else has to adhere to what the die says where you've got a place, and that person gets to break it even just that I think it just adds that little tickle of fun to the game.
1: It does, and it's really irritating, because <laughs> I, like I always that. forget the person's rolled the dice, and I look at like, oh, I stitched that, you can't place that. <laughs> and of course they can.
0: <sighs> no, that, that was Draftosaurus. I think I think a, a game pit hit.
1: My last one before the halftime break, Sean, is Terra Mara, another Essen Euro release. It's from Akitoka, which is an Italian design group now for... Fairly big name designers working together. So rather than having to say they're four named all at once, they're going to call themselves Akitoka or Achitoka or Akitoch. Yeah. From Quinn Ed, it's two to four players, another roughly two hour game. It's played over five rounds. The theme is that you are running a tribe in uh, pre AD. Italy, pre-Roman Empire, Italy, Northern Italy, between, um, I think it's the Po River and the Alps, if that makes a difference to you. And they were kind of traders. They'd move between the tribes that are around there and they facilitated trade in that local area. And that's what you're trying to do. And that's sort of shown by the fact that there's movement within the game. But what you're doing over the five rounds is you're placing workers. You can place them on the strip for this round and you'll get all those workers back. But you can also place them into the strips, the five strips there are, which are in the future. And you won't get those workers back until that round is over. And you're making a decision about where to go and where's most valuable for you in order to collect four different resources. The resources can be refined, so they can be unrefined or refined. And you can also move up on three different tracks within the game in order to show how you're getting more powerful militarily, culturally, or that you've traveled further in order to establish more trade routes. Also, most importantly, the four resources are going to be used to build artifact cards to me very reminiscent of stone age and that they're in a display along the bottom and when you get them they're going to give you particular powers and also they'll allow you to score in sets and give you discounts and they'll give you this and that and the other and make certain cards cheaper and certain areas better and you have a little tableau and there's sort of a balance between getting them for the powers and getting them for the victory points and they are tiered in that they come out in different levels and at the end in the in the third tier cards you get ones that score you lots and lots of points for having particular sets of resources and if you've set yourself up cleverly you'll be able to score loads with those cards now in terms of placing the workers sean one or two can go in each area and you have two different types of workers you've got normal ones and you've got chieftains only normal ones can go in the future chieftain is an area they can they can't be joined but normal ones can be joined by a worker of another color under certain circumstances in that a chieftain can always kick their way in Or if you're militarily more powerful than someone else, you can pay one military to go down and you can go where they are and you can trigger the same space. So it's not just each person chooses a space and they're all available all the time. And that's, you get, you get it. You trigger the power, you move on. It's, am I going future? Am I going now? Do I need that worker back? What's more powerful? Should I spend military? Should I boost my military in order to be able to get more options later on? And it's definitely done a mix up on the basic worker, basic. Worker placement model.
0: Okay, Roland. So I have not played this one yet. So I have got a few questions for you. Nice. Hit me. Hit me with your rhythm stick. Hit me. Not that. No, don't do that. Sorry. The future placements. Okay, so we start there. How well have they got the balance on this? Is it obvious you have to retain those workers and get more of them out into play, or is it actually beneficial to place your worker far into the future and not have that work for, the, for most of the game.
1: Definitely beneficial to go in the future at the right time. There's not enough spaces in the current, in the now, in for all the workers to go. Mm-hmm. And definitely, if you don't have military, you're going to have to go future. You, there's no other option, really. Also, while the boards and strips for each round, it's also kind of in columns. And the four different resources are available in the four columns if i desperately need stone to do something and i haven't got any stone because those spaces have been filled up yeah you know, it's only there's only one or two on the in this era in order for me to get it i have to go to the future to get stone there's no other way so there are mechanisms and the tightness within the game forces you when to go how far to go and how often is a big part of the decision and it's a decision i find really really difficult to make I find it very difficult to judge how much it's worth going far into the future, which is one of the frustrations, but also one of the things that draws you back to the game because it's, to me anyway, it's quite opaque what good play
0: looks like. Okay, and so you, you mentioned about the military as well there, Ronan. Is, is this just something that you, you have to have, the military, in the in the game? You have to be able to bump people off spots, or is there is there ways around it?
1: I wish I was better at playing this game. <laughs> <question>. <laughs> because I'm really not great at it. I think I've come second and third in every single game. The players who are behind in military generally will tell you you desperately need military. And the player and I've done both. I've been, like, oh man, I really need military this game. I've really messed up. And then I've gone and leapt ahead of military and gone, Oh, it's not that it's not doing me that much good. But it obviously does. The other thing with military is that there's one raid spot on the board uh, and only one person can trigger it each turn. And when you raid, you take resources off other players according to their relative military strength, which stops people from stockpiling too much and definitely drives the game on because otherwise you would just stockpile all throughout the game, wait for the tier three cards to come out and buy a few of them and score loads of points. So it is a good mechanism. It's there. I found it gets taken more often by the low military people and, and they end up take, getting very few goods for it, right? To stop the high military ones from bullying them. There's a nice balance in the military, and it's definitely something you have to consider, and you have to think about where you are, and it can drive some of your choices for artefacts. But like a lot of things in this game, it's very hard for me to tie in what I'm doing to the actual point scoring, and how valuable things are is really hard for me to fathom. Uh, So that's why I struggle to answer. Do you have to be high in military? Well, if you're not, it feels very difficult because you've got very limited space to go to and you're very much forced into the future. So then you feel like you've got fewer workers, you'll never catch up on military.
0: So I've got a question for you that you probably are in a good place to answer, Ronan. If your strategy fails, right, (laughs) (laughs) is it difficult to recover? A lot of people are saying this is one of those games where the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And it's very difficult to, to bring back once you've started to fall behind.
1: Yeah. So there's a, there's a culture track down the bottom, which is it's supposed to be a river. When I use these words like military and culture and travel, they're just tracks. Everything is very seamless. But there's this track that you go along. When you go along, you, you open up the ability to reserve cards. Then you open up another worker. Then you open up um, special bonuses and stuff like that. And that triggers throughout the game. So once once you get ahead on that, it's very hard for people to catch up because the game is so tight. So the game only really works with a group of people who all know the value of each of the spaces. And even having played it several times, it's hard for me to judge the value, which adds interest because you're like, oh, I went there. I wonder, was it worth it? I I might go here or there. But it creates a lot of AP. And even in quick players, it creates AP. And if someone goes to the one spot that you were going for, which is the only valid spot that allows you to get the goods, to buy the card that was going to trigger the next thing, you could just get stuck and you just go, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> and of all these options, there's only certain ones that are only ever viable for you. So it's a tough game. And and you can fall behind and it can feel like you're taking a beating. And there's, there's the travel track down the side. And that actually opens up both the ability to score bonus end game points, because when the... When the work strip of its round is done with, it flips over and becomes an extra space you can get to, but only if you've done well on the travel track. An extra point scoring, but only if you've done well on the travel track. So you can feel left behind there as well.
0: I'm getting two vibes from you here. So I want to find out which one's the more prominent. One vibe is you're a bit rubbish at the game and maybe you want to discover it more, or you're a bit rubbish at the game and you just don't like it and you can't be bothered to discover anymore.
1: They weren't two opposite tracks, were they? (laughs) There was definitely a common theme in those two tracks. They bifurcate only slightly at the end there. In this game, every player moans throughout the whole game. Everyone feels like they're getting stitched up. Everyone feels like they can't get the things they want. Everyone feels like the whole world's against them and it's too hard and I can't do what I want to do and why is this game so mean? And then we've all scored dozens of points at the end of it. (laughs) And it does feel mean. And it does feel like you're doing terribly. And it's whether you enjoy that or not. And whether the balance is correct. Now, one of the big problems, I mentioned it there for me, is that it feels completely themeless. And I'm just moving up tracks. And why am I able to go in the future? What does that represent? I'm travelling further away or something. And there's certain little things in the game that just go, this is... (sighs) I'm just not feeling it. And it might just be that little bit too tight because it feels like yesterday's Euro in the presentation, in the theme, in the themelessness, in the tightness, but it has lots of moving parts like today's Euro in that there's lots of different things to keep track of, and the scoring comes from lots of different areas. It's point salady and there's lots of different ways you can go. And that's a rare blend, I think, for people to enjoy. And I respect the game. I enjoy playing it. I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to force myself to play it very often because it's such hard work.
0: Fair enough. Well, it's going to be very hard because you've given me your copy. So What, what are you going to do? <laughs> you setting fire to it?
1: <laughs> Launching it into the canals?
0: <laughs> it's not the death
1: knell. I just said... <laughs> You play it, I think you'll enjoy it more than I did because you can set your own thing up and it has got a feel of Stone Age to me in how you score points. I know you like that game. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. I think we're going to have to throw your thoughts in at the end of one of these episodes once you've been able to play it.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I didn't really know much about it before Essen but it did get a little bit of buzz and a few people were talking about it so I shall certainly tell you what I feel.
1: If you like a headachey euro, definitely check it out. It's definitely worth a play because there's different things going on, but yeah, but not, didn't quite hit my mark.
0: Okay, so moving on to a game that we previewed in our treasure hunts episodes before Essen, Yukon Airways from Al Leduc and Ludanova. I think we both said this was an Essen treasure. Uh, before Essen Ronan, so interested to find out what we think post-Essen. The game is all about the airlines that operated around the Yukon. It's a labor of love. Al, the duck's father and his grandfather, were actual pilots taking tourists and holiday holidaymakers to, to the various locations around the, the Yukon. The game itself... I think Ronan is a series of small conundrums that build into a, a bigger uh, thought process. So I'll just quickly reel off the. the we, we call that a board game. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly, but in, in more so than, than a lot of other games, I think, in this one. I'll just quickly reel off um, the, the various stages of the game. So you've got the departure gate, you're going to use your tickets, you've got to decide where to fly, and you've got to decide what upgrades you are going to add to your plane, all the time guessing who's going where and trying to make sure, maximize the delivery of those passengers. Right? And so the departure gate is where, where you start, and the departure gate in itself is you're going to have a series of dice rolled, and they are all going to go into one of the six departure gates, depending on the number rolled, now, each departure gate is going to give you a particular power, but what you're essentially doing, Ronan, is picking up those passengers and putting them on board your plane, and it's the number is going to affect, the colour is going to affect what you do. How important, in the whole process of this game, do you think the departure gate is?
1: The game that you score points for delivering passengers, how important is it what passengers you choose?
0: Don't be flippant, but in terms of like getting where you go in the departure gate... Because it dictates the... dictates everything. It yeah. dictates your whole game. It's the way it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it takes like... What you have to meld you know, it with yeah. your
1: handful of cards. You have to have the right cards to go where you want to go,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which will tell you certain spots only are really valid for you unless you just want to do a quick short haul and, and save fuel this round, which is, which is a viable strategy to build up fuel. But of, it's absolutely vital. Of course it is. And there's interesting things that come out of that because... Do you want the special power that associates with the number gate that you're choosing? Or are you going to screw all that? Take a, take an easy round, but make sure you're going to be first next round. Because obviously, when your first turn order is really important, you get control of, all right, I've selected all the green passengers. Obviously, I'm going where the green cubes are. And I'm going to get first chance to go and do that. It it, it, it drives the whole thing.
0: Short. Yeah, it really does. I've, I mean, I've seen somebody do quite well only ever going in the first place position, and you don't get an actual additional power, but they were always first to deliver, and they they maintained that first place throughout the whole game. Because they were always able to deliver first, they never had to worry about wherever other people were going. So even though you're not getting that power, still important, that turn order.
1: Hugely important. Yeah, no doubt about it. The one thing I'll say, though, is that I think that that... The pressure at the gate that I want to feel of the real hard tension of, oh, if I go late, you know, I can't get certain things, how much money do I spend to move these dice around to get groups the same colour, is going to be way better at four. I think if you play with less, fewer than four, some of the tension that would make the game real fun for me is going to be reduced. 100%
0: Hundred percent, Ronan. Four players is the sweet spot for this game. Not just for the tension on the on the, on the gates. It's uh, hoovering up more of those those cubes. It's the race to get there. Yeah, very much so, Ronan. Four players, really good. Three players, okay. Two players, it's still I still like the game, but it's a bit wishy washy because there isn't that competitiveness. What's the word? Yeah, competitiveness, just isn't... not in eighteen syllables. <laughs> It's not the competitiveness to to get places. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> uh, some good and some bad. Throwback towards you. Okay. Good morning Physically, just very pleasing.
0: they want the, just the layout of the game, and the board, just the artwork, day,
1: the look, the dice, the physical physicality, the dials, the switches, the turns, the twiddles, the twink twonks.
0: Looks different, board really stands out. I think it's a really beautiful looking game. Less said about the dials, the better. Trying to put those dials in was the bane of my life with my big fat hands. Trying to get each one in. Oh my God.
1: It's a very easy life you live with. That was the bane of my life. The
0: worst thing that ever happened. The other one's called Thomas. (laughs) Hey, big wine. The big wine.
1: Okay. Physically pleasing. I'm gonna come back with a, a bad one. Go on. So when you fly, you have cards in your hand and there are some symbols on them. And if you can put three of the same symbol together, it's gonna give you a bonus and you can do like you get extra fuel or you get an upgrade, stuff like that. Yep.
0: Yep. Rubbish.
1: Just doesn't go in with the rest of the game. It's a weird tiny But actually, think about it, it reminds me of the Maracaibo things. Do you have three or do you not? Mm. Especially early on. You've got three, you're able to do an extra upgrade. You've now got a head start. Your now engine is now purring a bit faster than the person who just didn't happen to have those cards. Okay, when you get in, you can increase your hand size and you can mitigate and you can try and get... Yeah, it's easy ways of getting the three, but sometimes you just can't do it and it punishes you and I didn't like it.
0: I I see where you're coming from. I think it's probably quite poor play to be using those very early because you you want to have the right tickets available, and the more tickets available, the better. Early doors, when you start getting that sort of recycling, your tickets a lot better, and getting a bigger hand and being able to use them, that's the time to use them.
1: But if you use them earlier, you can draw more cards or increase your hand size or whatever, yeah. thereby giving you the yeah. I suppose, to get yeah, more I suppose.
0: if you if you lucked into getting three upgrade ones or or what have you, yeah. Yeah, I I'm not gonna I can't argue, there's there's logic in your in your argument there, but it didn't stand you out. You tried
1: to though. I did, I did, really I did like, try. It, it just
0: didn't stand out, it didn't irritate me at all. I just thought it was just another thing to think about.
1: I think I got it and someone else didn't get it, mm. and I noticed, and they felt slightly behind the curve, and in the end they ended up slightly behind the curve and I was like, Was that the difference? I got them a couple of times at the beginning and you didn't. It was just in my head. Okay. okay fair enough. So let's go to something I liked. Customise more plane I yes. think for most gamers, give me something that I can make my own and I'm happy. The whole fact that you can do your own little things and which upgrades to choose are not as obvious as I thought they might be and that you can go in slightly different ways. I liked it.
0: You can, but from repeat plays, what starts to come to the fore is you do need to get the upgrade that says you can take multiple colours of passengers and you do need the upgrade that says you can attach more than one passenger to a ticket. I think they're very, very important. If somebody's got them, they're ahead of the curve uh, if you don't have them.
1: I never used the attachy-attachy ticket thing. That's why you lost horribly.
0: Uh, By what? (laughs)
1: And I'm pretty sure you cheated. I probably did. I I was like 15 points ahead and then suddenly after the last turn,
0: Sean's won. Oh, what? (laughs) The way. What? Listen. Oh, you put me next to that pile of money, I'm going to win the game. Trust yeah. me. Four, four ones in, 125 <laughs> out. <laughs> all right. Hat and garbage. Come on, around. five ones in. <laughs> That's all right then. <laughs>
1: Cheat face. Okay. I'm going to go back to a negative. Do you like the way I'm doing this? I'm
0: backwards, forwards. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, don't, you're you're sandwiching you're, you're it. A, uh, something like that. A something What's sandwich.
1: What's
0: in that sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: the goal cards. Yes. They felt very small. They felt very sort of like, oh, and you happen to have that, okay, have that tiny little thing. Oh,
0: but the game is very small. It's very small margins. I think if you hit those more often than not, you're, you're definitely on a path to to have a chance to win the game.
1: But for me they were too small to very often influence what we said right back at the beginning, the the crucial decision point, which is which departure gate to go to. If I'm looking at as a plus one to go there, that's not big enough to change my mind as to what I want to do. I'm not going to take that particular colour of dice, right? If I get them, cool, that's groovy, but I'm not going to change what I'm doing. If they were a bit bigger or end game scorey, or something like that, where it was like, right, whoever's delivered the most red dice over the whole course of this game is going to get a bonus, and a decent one, that then starts affecting my key decision of Departure Gate, which then starts adding in one more thing to think about when you're
0: doing that. Is that one thing too much, though? Because I think there's already so much you're thinking about in that Departure Gate. It's not that much, especially not if you're
1: later in turn order when things have started going.
0: I quite liked that they were just a small tickle, and that if you if you could manipulate it, you you would do it. But there are don't forget there are different ones. There's going to be three different ones out of a deck of about fifteen cards placed on. But they're on all board. a little
1: bit tinky twinky.
0: Yeah, there's better ones and there's worse ones. There's there's, more, there's definitely ones that are much more difficult. I delivered two red dice in consecutive deliveries and stuff like that are more difficult than just. Spend a red dice on your turn. It didn't bother me again. <laughs> I think that's what we're going to get to. Were you just happy? Were
1: you like floating around on value and play? They didn't bother me. Everything's it didn't cool, man. Me, bro. It didn't
0: bother didn't me, didn't bother, bother me. me. Good.
1: Okay. You ready for me to give my thoughts? Yeah, do it. I'm interested. Yukon Airways. I thought it was very pleasant. Fully enjoyed my game. I found the whole experience to be fun. Don't forget to keep fuel in your tank for the long flights towards the end. You know, I think there's a need to to judge your movement. I think you'll definitely get much better at it after one play because it's not as obvious and simple as it seems. I think play with four. If you've played with fewer than that, you haven't quite got the full experience. I'm not sure it's for the long haul. I don't want to play this half a dozen times in a couple of months because I don't think there's all that much to explore within there. But if it came out once every three or four months, I could see myself playing this for years on a light sort of pattern of, oh, yeah, you can airways. We all remember how to play this. Get it out, play a game. That's grand. Stick it back on the shelf. We'll see you again next season, my good man. So a very nice game and a nice tickle of the brain while cleansing the palate.
0: Fair enough. I think I agree with most of that, Ronan. I think... It looks beautiful. It is. I mentioned at the top. It was a labour of love, and you can feel that. There's there's little thematic elements in there, like the round. This over six rounds, and you start on the Tuesday because you they never worked on a Monday. So just little little things like that, little nice little touches. I think the game makes you think more than you're going to when you when you first approach it. I do agree, Ronan, that the replayability, having played it that half dozen times now, in a fairly short period of time, I I am happy now to step away for it, from it for a few months and then come back a bit later. But for me, it's one of the stronger games I've played in 2019 and it's going to be right up there at the moment in my 2019 list. So Yukon Airways for me was a big hit. And that big hit, those are
1: big words.
0: Big hit. I really like it. Nice. That brings us to the end of the the first half of the show. And we shall see you in a few moments.
1: Sean, it's time for another of the hot, hot, hot games from the end of last year. Hot. Damn. I'm going to sing more. I've decided more singing in the second half. We're gonna do this. <laughs> it's I've always struggled to say this word. <laughs> paladins? Paladins? Paladins. Paladins. Yeah. Maybe. Al- Aladin.
0: Lamp Anyway.
1: Shem Phillips and SJ McDonald, one to four players, says it's a 90 minute game, which is lies. It's
0: lies. Oh very dare you.
1: <laughs> From Renegade Games and is it Garfield or Garp Hill?
0: Garp. Hill, I believe.
1: Poor choice. Poor choice of word. Could easily be Garfield.
0: It probably is, but who knows? It
1: probably is, yeah. <laughs> so the follow-up to Architects of the West Kingdom. And boy, was this exciting. It was bigged up. It was kick It was a follow-up to a game I really enjoy, but longer and deeper and more and EuroE y and... Ooh, ooh, all of those noises.
0: Do that again. Ooh.
1: Nice. I don't know, Shaggy. Maybe a ghost. <laughs> That's my best impression.
0: That's the only impression I've got.
1: Stop looking at me like that. Did you back Paladins of the, of the West Kingdom?
0: I did. Yes. I thought so.
1: Yeah. Have you played it? No. <laughs> Let's move on from that. <laughs> I thought not. Okay. What are we doing? We are running a town in early medieval, what would become France, or was France. So the Carolingian dynasty and what have you. And on each round, we're going to draw three paladins. I'm going to struggle with that time from our deck. Uh, we all have the same deck. We'll shuffle them up so they come out in different orders. And we draw three, and they are going to give us a power for the round and an attribute boost to one of three different powers. And we're going to choose one of them, and that will be our one that we choose. And once it chooses out of the game and then one goes back on top of our deck and one goes on the bottom of our deck. And in terms of these attributes, you have to have a certain value in them in order to take actions during the game. You start with now. So when you choose that Paladin, it makes certain actions available, which will allow you to boost up the attributes to allow you to then start doing more. So it's very important which one you choose, especially early on, to get your engine flowing in the right direction direction now you've got a personal board in front of you and most of what you do is going to be on a personal board because that paladin is going to give you a certain number of meeples of different colors you're then going to get to draft from sets of meeples they come out on cards so you get to pick a particular set from those available and with the ones you got from your paladin sometimes you can hold them over from round to round up to Two or three, I can't remember which. Good. And then the ones you've got in, you're going to start taking actions on your own personal boards. And the particular actions require particular colours and a particular level in the attributes in order to do them.
0: Got me, Sean? I'm getting you, bro, isn't I? I'm getting you.
1: Good. And you're going to look to build walls, go on holy wars, build monasteries and outposts, which are the only things really you do on the central board. It's like a placeholder. You're
0: basically Donald Trump. You're Donald Trump. You're oh, building walls you build and going
1: holy walls. Holy walls. <laughs> build monasteries <laughs> and outposts. With, uh, uh, convert or fight invaders What's the next thing. But unfortunately you need some attributes and <laughs> anyway. He was fully acquitted, Sean. Come on. <laughs> And in order to do those things, you need money, and you need provisions, and sometimes you need villagers, which are cards you can draft across, which will form a tableau for you, and when you fight those invaders, or you convert them, you can get them into point scoring opportunities, and there's different ways of generating the resources you need to go with the powers, each time you take a power, for example, if I build a wall, it requires me to have a certain attribute, but it will give me more military but the, as you build sections of it, you need a higher amount of the attribute in order to build the separate sections. So you need to boost up the attributes on your left-hand track and take the right Paladin's and create an engine for you in order to move forward. And in your first game, in your first round, this is super tough because you look at it and you say, I've got nothing. Uh, okay, It's all down to that first choice of Paladin in your first round, in your first game, you go, wow, Oh, head exploding. Because each one I choose opens up certain sections of the board because everything is closed to me. I can't do anything. But If I choose this one that's strong militarily, that allows me to do those two actions. Okay. So if I do that, that then, once I do that to boost up my religious thing, will then open up that action and you're straight away into a puzzle which is branching and you are driving which branches you go down. It's bifurcating, Sean.
0: (laughs) So... That is all sort of leading into what everyone is saying about this game. It is by far, I know you haven't played all of them, but it's by far Shen Phillips' deepest game and something that you can relate to way deeper than Architects of the West Kingdom. Is that correct?
1: Initially. Ooh. Because on the first round of your fourth game, you go, I got this. It's okay. I know how this is going to go. And you look at them paladins, you go, yeah, boom, that one. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to move that. I'm going to build that wall. That'll give me that. Right. Second round. Let's go. But it doesn't really, which paladin, that one. Boom. Good. Let's go. And you get so, so much better at the game after a few plays. And that really influences for me, how much I enjoy the game. Because we've talked about, I like the struggle to a certain point. And I enjoy the fact the puzzle, and when that puzzle's hard, it's loads of fun.
0: Okay, so you've kind of answered a lot of my questions. I, I was going to ask, there's lots of ways to go. Is there any obvious paths? And what's the learning curve like? So you're saying it's about four games long, and you know exactly how to go.
1: On our third game, Rachel had almost all her tracks matched out, which meant that she could do anything in the game, which takes away the tension of the game. And the fact that there's very, very little interaction. Even in the draft of, of meeples at the beginning, you can mitigate, you you're able to build buildings to upgrade your actions, which makes so most big actions require three meeples. You can build move things across that make them require two or require one. The first time you put one in, it covers up the requirement of a colour of meeple. Right? So then I need any meeple and a particular colour. Well, I'm gonna be able to get that colour. Trust me, I'm going to be able to get that color if I need it. There's also purple meeples, which are the thieves, which are wild. Now, they are clearly better than any other meeple because they can go anywhere. And really, the only thing that will stimmer you is, I need a blue meeple to be able to take this particular action right now, and I can't get one. Why? You can always get purples, more or less, always get them. They give you suspicion cards. Now, when I first played, I was like, wow, I need to avoid those suspicion cards because there's a Inquisition, which is a lot like when the... Um, Black market resolves in Architects of the West Kingdom, right? You don't want to have the most mm-hmm. prisoners when that happens because yeah. that's yeah. quite punishing. But it's not very punishing in Paladins. And there are loads of ways to get rid of the suspicion cards every time you take a thief. There are particular ways. There's like um, There are jars that you can get by doing a religious action, and there are three different ways to get rid of suspicion cards just from doing that. There are also villages you can take which will get rid of a suspicion card. There are also things you can do with the invaders that will get rid of suspicion cards. So you can end up taking a rake of criminals and still never getting hit by the Inquisition, which takes away that tension. Now, that's not easy to do in your first game, but on your fourth game, it's really easy to do. And you're like, I know what I'm doing.
0: Mm, so I was talking to to Matthew Jude last night, and I mentioned that uh, you had a few issues with the game, and he said you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what about the game? <laughs> <laughs> he said that whenever he plays it, they all sit around and cry about how beautiful it was.
1: Well, I presume he's played it once. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> twice. <laughs> Honestly, because it's it's got loads of really high rankings. I, I can only guess it's on the first one or two plays.
0: Yeah, I was I actually going to counterbalance Matthew calling You an Idiot. But well, I did go on, like we like to do with uh, when we haven't played a game, just look at the old BGG comments and... One of the comments there was they give they rated it a three, and they said, essentially, it was a by-the-numbers point-salad game, minimal interaction, and very limited theme. Does that sound about right? Well, I wouldn't give it a three.
1: I don't know how <laughs> negative five I sounding, but it's not a three. Let's take it easy. <laughs> yeah, um... It's such a standard theme that I guess it kind of feels thematic because you've played so many games in that area that you go, oh, yeah, building this out. This feels like building a monastery. It doesn't really feel like building a monastery. It's yeah. just handing in resources to do stuff. And your resources are actually meeples, which is unusual. And it's an unusual flow to it and of what you're doing. So it, does, it feels new when you're first doing it, and it's a new puzzle, and it's not like other games you've played. And I can see, and it got a hugely positive reaction from me initially. When I learned it... I was so excited. I was like, oh, this game is just exploding fireworks in my head. I was so into it. And I can understand the big positive reaction. It just didn't hold up. And I'm like, yeah, the interaction, very, very little interaction. And the play length is long. And even when we know it, it is an hour per player. Playing four players, you're looking to up to a four hour game, probably not quite that long, in which I'm not really interacting with you very much.
0: Yeah, yeah, obviously, w- although we do have uh, our slight differences, we, we do tend to agree a lot on games. So it's, it's a bit worrying to hear you say that. But I'm still going to I'm still gonna give it a go and t- go in fairly. Play it
1: twice like Matthew Jude and tell me I'm an idiot. And play it two more times and tell him he's an idiot. <laughs> Look, after the first play, this was my number one game probably of 2019 or definitely a contender. It went down to, oh, yeah, okay, after three games, yeah, I'll play it. It's now gone down to, I'll play it if I have to. And that's where it's going to stay. It's not a bad game. It's functional. It's a puzzle. It takes some brain work to get through that puzzle. But it's very similar each game. And even though the Paladin that I choose might bump me up on religion this time rather than military like my first one last time, fine. The actions are still very similar okay, so I've got religion. I'll take that action. That'll bump up my power attribute, which allows me to do that next time, which will bump back up my religion. And I'm just, when you get good at the game, you're bumping up two of them and you allow them to spiral up. When you get really good, you're bumping up three of them and all your attributes sail. And then the higher attributes are actually, the more of the central board opens up because there's supposed to be tension about space for monasteries and outposts. But when you're playing well, the whole board opens up very quickly. All the invaders open up quickly. So the better you play, the less interesting the game is. And it's learnable uh is, is it a solvable puzzle? That might be going slightly too far, but it's too learnable and gets too easy too quickly and does not stand up for me. So great initial impression, very rapid tail-off for Paladins of the West Kingdom.
0: Okay, dokie. All right. So I'm actually gutted saying that because yeah. I was
1: really hopeful for it.
0: Yeah, well, well, I shall uh, again that'll be one I'll sort of feedback in uh, a little bit later on.
1: So the story of this cursed episode continues, and what for you lot was just a couple of seconds is been four days and a change of venue.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, we did talk about the wind maybe cutting us off, and uh, and he managed to her, storm Kira <laughs> <laughs> happened to us. Your wind often cuts you off. Wow, well, it does.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so Sean's now in the same room as me. So this is going to sound completely different to the rest of the episode, but. By hook or crook, you're going to get this episode from us. <laughs> However it has to be done,
0: Sean. I will not give up. Well, I think most people wish we would.
1: <laughs> no, we will soldier on. You okay. don't have to listen. Just leave it playing in the background so it records to play, that's all. Right, Sean, another game. Let's. De- we've got five more to go. Let's, let's do this.
0: Okay, so this one is the game that I picked up when I couldn't get... Minecraft for James in Essen. I was desperate to get a game and I saw this one. It looked interesting. It's Ossa Rand and Band, designed by Holger Schmidt and coming from Zock Verlag. It's all about building robots on a production line and in the game itself has a physical production line, Ronan. Oh. Where you are moving parts of the robot along the production line, and you are using dice. production line again for me. <laughs> Could I? Yeah, Could go I? On. production yeah, yeah. line. <laughs> and you are using dice to place on the components of the robots. You roll the dice at the beginning of your turn, and wherever, wherever the dice say, you will place a dice. So if it says a three, you're going to go to the third spot of that line. And you're trying to get a set collection. You're trying to get. get a yellow head to match a yellow body and yellow leg because it's going to score you more points. The trick here is in the pre- preparing your dice and getting those dice into position because when the tile comes off at the end of the line, Ronan, any dice on it are going to automatically roll because I think it's going to fall off and form a ramp. And whoever scores the most pips. Hold on, hold on. It's going to do what? It's quite interesting (laughs) now. Whoever has the most pips of of dice in their colour is going to get that piece. So you're trying to manipulate the dice into place to score the most pips to get that piece. So there's a little bit of a, a bidding aspect going on.
1: Tell me the thing where they fall off and roll again. Also. Oh,
0: really? They, you slide them along the,
1: and they fall off the end. I like the slady slady. So when I did do my extensive research into this game, <laughs> the one thing that sprung to mind was Chocolate Factory, which you've
0: played i have played uh, it's got the same conveyor belt thing it's got the same conveyor belt but on a
1: whole different level oh yeah i mean this is a kid's version but that's what it reminded me of of, of.
0: yeah yeah physically you are pushing along tiles and and
1: you're in a factory and you add stuff to it yeah and in terms of scoring then why are you trying to make particular colors of robots
0: uh, you score... You don't have to make exact colours. You want to try and get heads, bodies and legs You made a talent exact colours. So you sorry. said about that yellow. I was, very, <laughs> I was getting upset. But what you are trying to do is get them in the same colour. Some of them are multi so they might be half blue, half yellow, and they, they will act as a yellow or a blue, depending on what you want to make it as. But whoever's got the most complete robots in colours... In, in the your same colour? In, no, in, in any colour. In okay. the same colour, so you want a blue robot, a red robot or a yellow robot, is going to score the most points. Okay. So if a red, if I've got a red body and a red legs and a red head comes up, then I'm going to be interested in it. But everyone else is going to know that I'm interested in it as well. So they they will probably try to stop me getting that. And red how head. will
1: they stop you from getting it?
0: So you are rolling the dice. Yeah. And you're placing the dice. So the dice only go up to four. So there's one four side, one three side, two two twos, and two ones. Okay. And you are placing the dice wherever you. We're going to roll two dice. So if I get a three and a two, I'm going to place the dice on the three and two on the conveyor belt. So do you have any control in getting yes. that? Let's
1: say you want that red head.
0: Yeah. So this is this is where the control comes in. You also spend one die to place along the side of the production The line, side. And that has special powers and that'll be like move the dice, move your dice forward, move somebody else's dice back, okay. move the conveyor belt, move it twice, have an extra go and that's going to give you the powers to manipulate the dice. Not not massively so because it is a kids game. There's nothing amazingly clever there, but it just does eke out the things in in your favour if you play well so
1: the number that you roll on dice is where it goes what position it goes Mm -hmm. on and then when it drops off the end the dice roll and then whoever's got most pips gets the bit
0: yeah so you're not Uh, guaranteed so you might have two dice Till somebody else's one die, yeah. You they, if they two roll, ones. yeah, you yeah. roll two ones. They roll a four, then they're going to get the piece. So you're stacking. And the I odds. become enraged. <laughs> enraged. <How dare> you? <laughs>
1: it's against all chances. <laughs> Probability's gone mad. Groovy. So uh, it. You're making it sound fun. Actually, you're actually making it sound more gamely than I first thought.
0: There is definite gamer elements to it. Very gentle, but there are definite gamer elements to it. We. We were able to sort of teach James to play quite well in it. We tried to teach Matthew to play quite well in it. No, but it failed horribly. No, that's not going to happen. No, it didn't happen. And yeah, and there's one spot. So the, the spots on the side all fill up, but there's one spot that takes them all the way by moving all of your dice in onto the actual conveyor belt itself. Mm. And that's the only way you free up spaces. You are tickling me a little. I a mean, little, is it? Are you going to continue to tickle me or are you going to dash me? <laughs> I always try and dash you, but you're too big. And yeah, that's... that's uh, Ronan give a very rude gesture. This is why I don't like filming with you. <laughs> filming? <laughs> filming, <laughs> recording. <I'm> filming this. <laughs> <laughs> recording with you, in the same room. So yeah, that that's pretty much also Random Band, Ronan. There's, there's not much more to it than that. I think it's a fun game with a little bit of thought behind it.
1: And are you going to give us an age recommendation?
0: I think you'd want to be at least six, uh, just to get the manipulation side of it. You can always play with younger kids, just moving it along and seeing what they get. But I think to get the manipulation at least six uh, through till about 12, and I think once they go beyond that... I thought six sounded young, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. With the things that are going on there, but what, I have
0: never played it. So just, uh, <laughs> you, like like you all six
1: of it. my games, you wouldn't get <laughs> no, it. I know that, not very well. Right, Rausa something, Ossa Rand and Band, something like that. Yeah, good. Okay, Our next game is Crystal Palace, a three-hour Euro from Carsten Lauer for spieler for two to five players. It is eighteen forty-nine, Sean. It is nice hat. <laughs> <laughs> and wonderful <Nice> whiskers <laughs> We are going to play the role of a nation each Preparing for the world's first ever World's Fair Which was in Hyde Park in London And over five rounds we're going to be placing dice out into various areas Off the board, there are eight of them In order to build cards which are either prototypes or personalities Which will come along and help you Now, with these dice, it's another dice placement, I didn't realise. You set them, and everyone, I think, if you've heard anything about this game, you know that you set the dice at the beginning of your turn secretly, and the number of pips on the top of the dice is how much money you're going to have to pay, and money is very, very tight. And, Sean, that sounds like it might be exciting, but let's start right there at the beginning of the round, setting those dice. I don't think I've ever seen anyone go outside the band of 10 to 16. Not 36, not 6, 10 to 16 for 95% you, of the turn. You'd
0: think it'd be agonising, but as you said, money is so hard to come by in the game. Once you realise that, you, your first turn, you may have a bit of a wild effort, you know, your first turn of your first game, as as I did. But then I quickly realised, no, let's bring that right back down. And yeah, I think you're probably right. There's, there's a band in which you don't get exceed because you are going to struggle later and on.
1: And also random bands. Oh. Okay. Now, why do we care what numbers are on these dice? Because there is a set number of spaces in each of these eight areas you can go to with your dice. And these spaces have got minimum pip values on there. So, firstly, you have to hit the minimum pip value to be able to even to place. Following that, there are more spaces to place than there are activations when we move these dice down. Because we place all our dice and then we activate one at a time all the areas. So, the Dice that go in, no matter what order they go in, the highest value pips will always go first. So I can put a six in the last spot that only requires a one and up, and if no one else puts a six in there, I will get to take the first action in that area. However, ties are broken in the order in which they were put in. So they do have minimum numbers, but every area has got quite low minimum numbers, in my opinion. It's A lot of areas start with a four, then go two, two, one, one, or something like that. So again, it's not necessarily driving the full breadth of what you could be selecting on those dice pips.
0: But I think what drives that road is obviously you're trying to beat people to to the actions. Once the dice get moved down, you don't want to be spending four money and, so, and somebody else puts a five in. So your four money actually gets you a second place or even third place. Like, So you want to be careful, you want to be mindful of what everyone else is going for. So you've got to select your the dice carefully that you're going to put in each area. Otherwise, you could be usurped. Do you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the, while we're talking about this, I know there's something that you want to talk about with regards to turn order, because when everyone sets the value of their dice, mm-hmm. whoever has set the highest value in total gets to go first. And it just goes clockwise from there. And yes. you are not the only person I've spoken to to raise issues with this. it.
0: It bothered me, Ronan, because you might go for first place knowing that you desperately need something, spend quite a lot of money. Again, we'll reiterate that money is tight in this game. And when you've spent a lot of it, you want a reward for it. If it gets any tighter, you won't be able to mention it, by No, way. yeah, yeah. So, if you spend a lot of money, you want a reward. Now, somebody else might just pip you, pip you <laughs> to that first place. By So, let's say you really went outside and spent 20. Someone else might have been even more desperate and spent 21. For your 20, if you are the wrong side of that person, you might well be going last.
1: I have to accept this opinion, not because it came from you, because it came from other people as well. <laughs> <laughs> I never really felt it. The, the real annoyance, to be honest with you, now, I never played five player, God forbid, I think that might take you maybe three weeks to play, <laughs> but I played four player a few times, and what I did was, when that was going on, is that I then adjusted, and went, right, if you're going to those areas, I can't go there, you've all gone to prototypes, I'll go to shares, you've gone to shares, I'll go over here, to t- wherever it might be, yeah. because generally everyone is fairly fairly close. It's unlikely you're going to get outbid on a four or five very often. So if you can get in an area with your four or five, you're not going to, you know, there's not a lot of sixes floating around. Anyway.
0: It's just one of a few little niggles I've got. The oh, nice really? Oh, it spoilers.
1: Is. Okay. Spoilers. The other issue I had is, now you keep saying that money is tight. and money is tight. And if you run out of money, and there are ways in which other players can force you to pay money, and you can time that to make someone take a loan. Or just in general, if you have to take money, you can take a loan. There are spaces on your own board which are minus two points if they're not filled up and there are various ways of filling them up. A loan is going to be, give you ten money, it's going to be minus eight, nine or ten points at the end of the game unless you manage to pay it back at some point. And if you pay it back, mm-hmm. it's worth minus five points, which in effect is only minus three points because it was a minus two space <laughs> anyway. And uh, Nathan, of these parts, who's been on the show before, played in my first game of it and went, oh, don't, loans don't seem that bad. Smashed the loans smashed the point score in. Those loans that were allowed him to score 18 points were only worth minus three each. And he absolutely trashed the table.
0: Another thing about loans, why do they have different penalties on them?
1: <laughs> I kind of said that quickly. So they can be minus 10 <laughs> points, minus nine, oh, and minus so, eight. Yeah, yeah. And they're face down.
0: Yeah. What? So just randomly, I've picked up one that's minus 10 and you picked up one that's minus eight. Like...
1: Yeah, no. Well, would you know... This kind of links into something that is is one of my issues all the way through it, and is one of my main points, but but it kind of comes in here. If I had built a prototype that was, for example, an accounting machine, or an automatic money counter, or a pneumatic note maker or something, and then that made all my loans cost me one fewer point at the end of the game, that I could live with. Because there I'm making a decision, and I'm choosing to build something, and then that has an impact further down the line the randomness was just completely out of character to me for the whole game given you don't roll the dice and things like that it's all quite set. but that links into my real biggest problem with the game that What you're trying to do to score points... I've jumped ahead here, so I'm going to have to claw back a little bit. (laughs) What you're doing to score points mostly is building these prototypes. And some of them score more points if you build them earlier. Some of them score more points if you build them later on. They require gears and energy. You can get them from various spots on the board. There's a black market you can get them from. But the prototypes then do nothing. You know, I've worked hard. I've gathered these scarce resources. You're only going to build a handful of prototypes over the whole game, four, five, six, maybe something like that. And then they're just dead. So why are they bother? They've gone to this flavour. They've given all these Victorian inventions, these you know, these great steampunky kind of things that you go, oh, wow, well, steam-driven, I should say. And then they, they do nothing. If there was an invention that made my loans cost me less, then it would open a strategy where now I can take loads of loans and, it, and it's better for me. But the fact that they're just sitting in the water... Kills the theme for me.
0: It does. And so, also, what, what, what you haven't mentioned, Ronan, is that there are the inventors or famous luminaries of the time. And it's another bit of random in the game is that you get extra points if you manage to connect the right person to the right invention. So off the top of my head, like George Stevenson to Stevenson's Rocket. If you manage to connect those two, you get a bonus. And that is completely random. I might get all of my bonuses, you might not get any of yours because those cards haven't been flipped over. It's another bit of random in a game that starts off saying I'm not random.
1: You did say that to me.
0: It did, it, it did said I remember it saying it to you. It was good.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you and add on to I said there that when you build the prototype, some of them score you more points if you build them early in the game, some of them will score you more points if you build them late in the game. The deck of prototypes is not stacked. Mm. So if someone gets hold in that first round or two, because only a handful come out, big scorers that mm-hmm. score big when you build them early, then they don't... Because they don't come out in a flow. You're not getting early, middle, or late game prototypes. So someone could score a whole load of points earlier then you don't get an option to score that many points mm-hmm. for a long time. You know? And, yeah. and you know, once round one or two have gone certain prototypes then become way less useful and you're collecting a load of resources to build them to score fewer points. Mm-hmm. You know, you've know, you got to the mid-game, these are big early point scorers, but that's what's coming out in round four.
0: Yeah, yeah 100%. And that, just stack the deck
1: a little bit. Yeah. Just say, these, these are early, these are middle and these are late. And then there's a little bit more structure to what you're doing and then there's a little bit more decision-making.
0: Well, there, were, there are, I think, different routes to go down in this game but I think it's another area we've talked about. Not all of them seem as fruitful as others. You had a particular problem with one area, didn't you? Well, there's
1: a lot of talk about buzz in the game. So there's a completely separate board away, which is called the buzz track. And there are things you can do to generate buzz, and it can be via prototypes and characters and and, and taking actions. And you move up a buzz track, you've got two buzz markers. And there are certain points on this buzz track whereby, as you pass them, Well, some things give you a little bonus for for, for starters, but there are other points where you can leave off one or two markers and they'll give you an income in points at the end of each round. Sounds like a good idea. And then whoever's highest up the bus track at the end scores a number of points. Now, first thing with that is it's a very small number of points. The second thing is it doesn't seem possible to drive far enough off the bus track early enough that you will save your markers for the higher value income. So let's say a, a, a space on the track gives me seven income each round. I can't really get there till turn three or maybe four. So why didn't I just drop it off in the two-point income one, which going can get me 10 points over. Yeah, and I'm not worrying about the bus track. I'm using my actions to do other things, rather than the 14 points I could get by driving really far forward. You yeah, know, a four-point difference for a lot of work. And I, I was wondering about the bus track, so I spent a particular game... Doing it and going right, I, everything I can do to generate buzz, I'm generating it. And it was rubbish.
0: Yeah, it's just not stacked correctly, is it? It's, there's, the rewards for getting to the end of the buzz track do not compare in any way, shape, or form to going down some of the other avenues in the game.
1: Yeah, I think I would really love if that was a huge bonus you got at the end for yeah. being in the head of the buzz track because you're generating buzz. Everyone, mm-hmm. Everyone's talking about Germany's inventions coming over, everyone's talking about Japan coming over. Yeah. That would make sense. And then. You know, there's lots of... The, the structure of the game is okay. It just never pays off for me. There's just all these little things. I, but let's talk about maybe the black market. I yes. mentioned it briefly. I, I, I really like that.
0: I like the mechanism. Yeah. So
1: there are certain spaces when, when you move in, you get what's called an assistant action. And there are two different assistant actions, mostly. One is you can trigger personal scoring for yourself. Each nation has got a uh, particular set like if you've got oh, cut all your dice out you, you score your points or if you've got a certain number of prototypes you scratch points it's individual to you again it's only a handful of points very point sanity but it's there the other thing for assistant action is there's a black market in the middle and it fills from bottom to top and in a phase of each round it will give you an income from where your assistants are and you can drop down there in order to get gears and there's only three of them available in the black market and gears are quite hard to get and you need them to build prototypes and what have you so that's good and it's a good decision to make. And then finally, when that black market fills up, the last assistant to go in stays in, and all the others get kicked out because there's been a police raid. That ability to manipulate where you are in the black market, to get an income of things that you need in order to build the stuff that you've reserved, that was a good mechanism.
0: Yeah, it was very clever, very tactical, and I think it probably gave people enjoyable decisions to make. I'm ready to sum up, Ronan. Are you? Yes. Okay, so I haven't played it as much as Ronan. I've only played it a couple of times so far. I enjoy the process of this game. Yes, there are annoying factors to it, and I've brought up quite a few of them, but I'm not yet at the point where it's taken away from the actual enjoyment of the game itself. It's a beautiful game to look at. I think some of the decisions within the game, like what dice to place where and trying to guess where other people are going, the black market itself are quite interesting decisions and I'm still enjoying it for that. I don't think it probably has the longevity that I would require in a game of this depth because of the is contained within, but at the moment I'm still enjoying it. intense irritants. <laughs> I like irritancies. You're an irritancesist.
1: Okay, Crystal Palace to me, the overall feeling was like wading through syrup. The, everything was very slow. And for most actions that I was taking, it was boost your income up by two. I'm going to lose three at the end of the round because everyone does anyway. And boost this by a tiny bit to get a little bit back. And take a character for a very small bonus, but you've got to pay them every round. And it was all very fighty. There's some fun in there. There's fun in trumping other players to, to a spot. You know they're after something and you've saved back your five. But you can see people have saved back their five. And sometimes the highest value dice go in the last round of placement because it's all a bit cat and mouse. I enjoyed that. It's the rewards you get for doing it that's my issue. And sometimes, honestly, the secondary action was more important than the primary action I was choosing, especially when it came to that assistant actions. If I can get one in high up in the black market, because that's going to give me income every round that's in there and it's going to slide down each round. So, oh, hold on, I can get a load of stuff out of this for the actual main action, which is giving me like, two spaces on the buzz track, which is like, almost useless. So it was a funny waiting as to how my decisions were. I was considering secondary factors more than I was considering what you think would be the primary factors. There's a lot of noise. There's VPs small all over. There's tracks all over the place. The main engine of scoring is too weak for me. I wish you did something with the prototypes. It's too unfocused. I've moaned a lot because there's the heart of a good game here and it's actually a pretty good game I just think they forgot to add fun uh, and it just needed some people to come in and go why am I doing this like all this is interesting but why where am I going and it, it didn't have a, a, a final destination and that was Crystal Palace
0: very good okay so we're kicking it old school now <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> so this is Serenesima, the second edition in particular I played Designed by Dominique Ehard and coming from Estari Games. This is a game that's set in the Renaissance area and we are merchant families travelling across the globe picking up goods and delivering. It is at its very heart, Roland, and it is a pick-up-and-deliver game.
1: You like a pick-up-and-deliver. I
0: do like a pick-up-and-deliver game. The ships that you are going to move things around and you can actually put the little cubes into the ships Uh-oh. around... The ships are <laughs> they have they have various functions.
1: Obviously, the, the, so, the trial of getting this episode out sent been a bit mental. Talking about these games, <laughs> we've been thinking about them for about three months.
0: <laughs> so the ships have uh, various functions in that they are going to move your goods around, but the amount of sailors that you have in your ships decides how far you can move, and also their attack and defense value. Should you decide to get a bit argy bargy. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> in, 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 the in, in the high seas. So as I said, when you're effectively picking up goods, shipping it to other destinations that require those goods, you're taking over ports and trying to fill up your ports with different goods and trying to earn that a uh, bit of money and uh, keep hold of what's yours and not not give it up. If you do you know much about Serenissima?
1: Just that you've been mentioning it every week for about two years. <laughs> you really wanted to cover this game, and then you get this is the game that's been in our running list and then out again more than we anything else. tried
0: to do a pick up and deliver pit battle fight. pit fight, yeah, yeah. And this was sort of the make way in it because we couldn't think of anything else, and then we didn't. My what make way? <laughs> <laughs> you insisted this was in it, <laughs> and. Yeah, and then, and then it didn't seem like that was going to happen, so I just decided one day, just, you know what, I'm going to get this out and play it. And, yeah, I'll talk about how I, how oh, I enjoyed it coming up. It. But uh, there are definitely some very interesting mechanisms within the game. That that decision whether to crew your ship or leave the crew on the ports, defend the ports from attack, is is an interesting one. Obviously, they then decide how far that ship can travel. You're also... Getting multiple ships out, and they activate on a rondle run So if you've got the number one ship, then you're going to go first in turn order. That ship's going to move first. The number two ship's going to move second. It doesn't matter who owns it. That ship. So you might have the one, two, three, four, and so your four actions. Are how going to go first. how would
1: you? How do they go in that turn order? What As in, what makes the number one, two, three? Or
0: four? So you start off with random uh, like a. You start off with a different one on the the first four. So, but you can lose ships as well. Okay. So, so you, I would start, if I was player one, I'd start ship one and right, ship two. Right, right, right. But then you choose a ship where it goes in the turn order. So if you buy another ship, then I, I don't have to choose number five. If that's the next one, I can choose number 14. Would you want to? It depends if you were if you were sort of stacking towards the end. Maybe you well, had I
1: because that would be stacking towards the end. Yeah, but yeah, why yeah.
0: would you? But if you see? were stacking towards it, you try and get all your goes at once after everybody's acted. Maybe so then you can react to what they've done have to a you. Little, little a little scope, a little scope. Watch what they're doing. I hear what you saying. Um, saying. You can you can take other people, sink other people's ships, so then that ship becomes available again. So if I really desperately wanted the number two ship, because maybe I. I want it to go first and second in, in the turn. You definitely so could, want the number two. I desperately want that number two. Okay. Second. So I could attack the number two ship, sink it, take its goods, and then that would be available to me should I wish to build.
1: Okay. Speaking of which, combat is in this in terms it is, of you yes. can attack ports, I believe, and definitely mm-hmm. can attack each other's ships. Yes. BGG comment section, basically my mm-hmm. My go to. Yeah, <laughs> my go to. Um, Lucky combat came up more than once in the comments.
0: So, there is an element of luck. As I said, you can stack it in terms of how many soldiers you have on the port, how many soldiers you have on the ship, but I think it just goes with the same, Ronan. Well, that leads me seamlessly onto my next point. How did we get there? (laughs) How
1: thematic is it? Do, Do you feel like you're sailing the high seas making your fortune?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm moving cubes around the board. It's it's an old-school Euro. It looks very beige, and you are just moving Mm, goods around. So (laughs) um, do I feel like I've picked up a a container full of gold and I'm moving it from Florence to... Another place? Another place? (laughs) No. (laughs) Not, not really. I think this where the theme comes in is in you, when you're out on the you can be attacked from all all corners. Everybody's a threat. I suppose that's how the captains of the day felt with pirates, etc.
1: Okay, the risk of making it the high risk for high rewards. That's it. Yeah. Nice. Um, I was confused, so I need you to clear something up for me because again, it. from the comments, there was comments about there being a runaway leader issue. But also comments about it being interactive. Now, generally, in a game that has more interaction and player combat, that's what stops there being a runaway leader. You don't need a catch-up mechanism because the group will self-balance. That's that's hundred percent it. Okay.
0: If somebody if somebody has lots of ports and is garnering lots of points from those ports, then they're just going to be attacked by everybody else, and then they they're obviously going to lose a lot of their property, a lot of their goods, a lot of their ships so there is definitely that catch up mechanism built in within it do,
1: do you think that you have to be willing to do that attack like you couldn't just play it like you would just pure trading you I have to be willing to have a go at it
0: I, I played it a two player and we played it just as a pure trading game and it wasn't very good can you stop reading my notes? Because you thought the next thing was... <laughs> I didn't, know. It's better with more than two players. It's Rubbish with two. <laughs> well, wow. there you go. I don't need you to tell me how these games played. I just
1: read BGG comments. I know exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, you see, with two players, we started at opposite ends of the board. We had everything within our grasp. We didn't have to interact at all. With four players, you are forced because the to give, there's only three stone islands that give, give people stone. If you want stone to complete your sets, then you're going to have to attack someone's island or get it from them.
1: Do you need stone to complete your sets? (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Just check it. Okay, have you seen someone about that? (laughs) I've tried, I've tried. All right, so up about us on Serenissima?
0: Serenissima! As a pick-up-and-deliver game, it is fairly bog-standard. It doesn't really do anything new. I think where the life of it comes in is at the higher end of the player count. When you are attacking each other and every journey is a risk, that's when the excitement comes in. It's not really for me because I think there are better pick-up-and-delivers out there, but I think it's certainly a game that doesn't show his age as much as maybe you think it does. Right. Going to move on to our penultimate game. Yes. It's Throne of Allegoria. It is.
1: Another long Euro game. And when I say long, I'm talking four hours long <laughs> for four players. Two to four players from Robin Lees and Steve McKenzie. They lie and say two hours on the box. It's lies. Unless lie. you know it very well and everyone knows it very well. What's what's going on? We're in the kingdom of Allegoria. The queen is dying and we're going to need a new person to pick up the... Uh, the throne, and move it to their house. I don't (laughs) care. Each of you represents one of the noble houses. You've got six rounds, and you're trying to score the most VPs, and then you'll be the winner. And the whole thing is driven by a bidding system in which we all bid for actions, and then we do our actions. And the way you bid is, everyone has got six markers. They've got two zeros, two ones, a two, and an asterisk, which can be a one or a two, depending upon what you decide to do at that time. In order to score points you can score some things as you go along but mostly it's to do with goal cards in that there are gold cards you can get at you do get at the beginning of the game and there are gold cards you can pick up during the game and in fact collecting those gold cards is the first of the areas in which you can bid the other thing you're trying to do is you have a set of tracks that represent your own kingdom you're looking to boost your own rating in each of these tracks up in order to develop your mercantile or your your army or whatever it may be. Now, what does that all turn into? Once everyone's placed their tiles face down, we're gonna resolve each of these areas. And whoever, for example, has got the highest, is gonna be able to collect more gold cards. Then you move on to collect other cards. And those cards are gonna be able to boost your actions you take because the next thing is a bunch of tracks. When we flip over the bids on these tracks, what they're going to do is, well, the highest bid is going to get most points to use in different ways. And there are two different types of action points in the game. There's deployment and then there's action points. When you deploy, depending upon which track we're talking about now, there's a military one, there's a scholar one, there's a trading one, there's a spying one. You are going to take your meeples, which are a basic set of workers, and you're going to deploy them onto the board. And each person has got three areas in their, their own section of the board, and there's one central area. And where you put them in, which section you put them in, dictates takes what that meeple becomes. So if I'm activating the military track, I take a meeple, I put it for a deployment point into my military area that is now a soldier then via the deployment points you can move them across the board firstly they have to go into that central area and then they move out and you can move them into another player's area if you wish to and then you can use action points in order to take actions with these meeples now the thing is you get very very few points to do this especially if you don't win the bid you win the bid you have got a bit of flexibility you can deploy move do something behind that you're really just getting a couple out or moving uh, one space The tracks I talked about, the higher up you are on the tracks, the more meeples you can deploy at once for one deployment point or the more you can move at once. And in fact, in the trade track, you can move any of them using trade action points depending on how powerful your caravans are. Each of these deployments, each of these moves and each of these actions has got a different in-game term and they interlink with each other. And where your meeples are on the board, they can do different things and what type of meeple they are dictates what they can do. So for example, your merchants can trade in your own area but it's not as good. They can trade in the middle area with a card, which flips, changes every round. And sometimes is amazing and sometimes is not great. And you can swap points for other types of points at your ratings. Or you can trade in another area whereby you both benefit. For spies, you can spy in the middle area against the whole kingdom. But that causes anarchy to happen which you then have to take anarchy markers, and the number of anarchy markers that have been taken in the game is going to cost you points, but you can spy in someone else's area, which is much better. You don't have to take anarchy, but it's going to take you lots of deployment points to get there, and there are very few deployment points to take. So it's all dealing with a very tight action point system, which you have to bid to win in order to drive forward your kingdom and get gold cards. Sean, I've tried to condense a really long, deep game there. I'm going to start off with one of the main problems with the game. And I like the game. I think it's challenging. I think there's a lot to think about. But it's driven by a blind bidding system. And the goal scoring is based on face-down objective cards, which no one else has seen what you've got. Mm -hmm. It then puts a position of, how do I know how much you
0: want something? Because I don't know what you're trying to do to score points at the end. Well, this is... Something, I looked at the comments section on BGG and that was the overwhelming, well there was two overwhelming comments, but a lot of people were saying for a game that is fundamentally based about bidding, they felt the bidding doesn't work, <laughs> they felt that that bit was broken, which leads me to think that is the whole game broken a little bit. It's not broken, it just doesn't... Mm. It's not very
1: interesting. A okay. like broker suggests something wrong with it, and someone right. can run away or whatever. It's not that. It's that there are two zero bids, right? Which means suggests to me that it's a game of bluff and counter bluff. And I put this down so that you, mm. you know, over go in there. But everyone just puts their zeros down last because if there's a tie in bidding, whoever went in first wins mm-hmm. from left to right. It's kind yeah. of similar to Crystal Palace. But we're only beating points of two, one, and one. And then another one or two. So the numbers are really tight. <laughs> so it's not like I can draw out your seven and then win with a two. Ooh. It's it's So the the numbers are too tight. So you're
0: often going to get that tiebreaker. Yeah, often.
1: Yeah. So we, you can't draw. You can't hold back. Uh, I tell you now, the zeros are, are another 95% of the time are the last two spots that anyone puts down. In all the games I've played, it's gone the same yeah. way. Then there needs to be more open scoring for that to work, and there needs to be a higher variation between the numbers of the bids.
0: So another comment people were making, Ronan, was that it was a very hard game to grok. Did you find it easy to grasp from that rule book? Did you find it easy to get to the table? A lot of people are saying that it wasn't.
1: I think the rulebook's fine, actually. That for me would not be the issue. I think yeah. and it's actually not that long. To teach holy moly foley, <laughs> because it's a four hour teach it's one of those games you know what reminded me of to a lesser degree is Virgin Queen whereby I spent two hours teaching the game to people then on the day I spent another hour and a half teaching it and then I was teaching all the way through because you just you can't keep all those rules in your head until you've played it a few times yeah. That's what Throne of Allegoria is like. And the reason is because the rules are different for every tiny little bit. And military works differently to spying, works differently to trade. And in in the military area, there's four or five terms for what you can do. And there's four or five different terms in the spy area and four or five different terms in the, in the trade area and three different terms in the scholarly area. And they've all got their own names. So people were going, oh, I think I want to study now or study.
0: <laughs> so ronan in this big deep quite deterministic game again again from bgg comments the dice in the middle that you use some people love them because they say that it just adds that bit of chaos to a very sort of otherwise dull game and some people are just like dice in the middle of this are you joking
1: i think there's a lot hidden so I don't think it's that deterministic. You can't look at the board and okay. look at everyone and see, and know exactly what's going on. You can't necessarily know people's intentions. When people move their meeples, they have to go in the middle area to start with. So you don't know which way they're going to go. Also, they don't know what bids they're going to win next turn. So they might yeah. not know exactly what their plan is. Because sometimes you can't get in where you want to go. You end up with a crappy one action point, rather than a three you're hoping for. So you just do like one that you didn't plan to do. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot more hidden than that would suggest. Meaning the dice didn't feel that out of place to Okay. Me. Okay. I was like, okay, that, that kind of
0: rolls along with what's going Fair on here. Enough. Lastly, for me, Ronan, people saying the game is a too long, but the biggest criticism I saw from people who didn't like the game were just that it was quite dull, and it was just, it was, although it was interesting, it wasn't exciting and it wasn't fun.
1: I think that that's the rules barrier, genuinely. That, to me, is, is all I'm feeling about. I think the dull bit is the bidding, which should be the most exciting bit. I think if you're able to step back and take it on sort of almost a macro level, and I don't think everyone should, should have to do this to enjoy a game, yeah. but if you step back and look at the overall pattern of what's going on, I think it's an interesting game. And I think there's a lot of interaction and people are messing with each other and you've got to time things at certain times and the cards you get to boost your actions are really massively important, but you don't get many of them. And sometimes you're just going to have to roll with, oh, I wasn't planning on doing that, but I happen to have drawn you know three merchants that will really boost up my trade track problem being my trade track might not be part of my original hidden goals and yeah. there's not a lot of points scoring in this mm-hmm. i might have thrown the trade track goal away and then got the merchants you know so it doesn't all tie together very well yeah. but as an overall experience i really thought it was interesting i thought it was thinky i thought it was difficult but it was too long because people couldn't get the rules because it was too fiddly and too many different terms. And if that play length came down and everyone knew it and we were cracking along and flowing, it would be higher rated generally and certainly by me. But because I know that when I get this on the table, even with players who've played before, if it's been more than a couple of weeks, I am teaching for the whole four hours, is what doesn't, it's not going to stick around for me. But I like it. And if you've got a game group that is willing to delve into heavier games and doesn't mind spending four hours and, it, and is willing to be patient with each other, I think it could be a winner. But it's definitely not for every game group. It's definitely an odd duck.
0: <laughs> okay, so from the odd duck of Throne of Allegoria to our last game of the episode, La Stanza, coming from Nuno Bizarro, Santiero. Paolo Soledade and is published by Quinned Games. So, it, the basic theme of the game is we are patrons of the arts and we are sponsoring the most brilliant creators of the times. Now, this game, La Stanzarona, and it's a very abstract Euro game in that it, the theme really doesn't hold out at all. You are essentially. It's, it's almost. Anti thematic. It is almost anti thematic. Like, is correct. there a theme in the world that you couldn't put on this game? <laughs> no, I don't think so. As long as is... you could group things together, right? basically an abstract. Yeah.
1: Which, before we go any further, which I find very strange that they decided to put this, such a generic theme on. because Because it's abstract, you need a hook to get people in for the mechanism. Yeah. If you chosen something a bit different or a bit more exciting, or a bit, oh, what's that about? But choosing this with the same famous Europeans and the same Renaissance period, Mm -hmm. I
0: think this has been overlooked from the beginning when they could have themed it on anything. Absolutely, yep. I think it it hasn't made that the hit that it possibly could have done. It was a Kickstarter. It did fun, but not massively so. It wasn't a huge hit in the Essen Halls either. Because, I I think you're right, I think because it's so generic and people go and there's no theme there, it's a puzzle.
1: It looked like a reprint. When I looked at it, I'm like, oh, they reprinted something 15 years ago.
0: Yeah. No, it's a brand new game
1: from designers who've got buzz around them.
0: It felt like, almost like, remember that game Heads of State, that kind of feel to it? God, that artwork.
1: (laughs) I can't believe you've chosen a game that was similar but looked worse than this game. Because the looks of this game just... They put me right off. The good quality.
0: production quality, fantastic. Looks terrible. Again, I said it earlier in the show. A bit of uncanny valley with the with the people in it. It looked a bit, a bit off. Just a bit off.
1: Like yeah, that. And just the the whole look of it is so dull. Mm. It's just six rooms on a board. Yeah. That's literally what it's just, uh, and they're not connected to each other in any way. It doesn't, they haven't even made it like a nice mansion or villa or palace. It's just six rooms Like, oh, there (laughs) you go. It's like like something I would design. Basic. Yeah,
0: (laughs) the reason for the rooms is each room is supposed to contain a different part of the arts or a bit. I don't know why the explorers are artists, but. The, you've got, Clearly, you've never explored. <laughs> so it's more got, art than science. You've got your, <laughs> you've got your explorers. You've got your painters. You've got your authors. And amongst that all, you've got the church. Who are you're not backing the church, but they're going to help you back other other projects because they've got all the money. <laughs> no, <laughs> get out. So essentially, you're moving around your your piece. Your dobber around from room to room, acquiring luminaries of the time.
1: This is Rondle style. It It is. Big,
0: big big Rondle. Acquiring luminaries uh, from the time and trying to essentially get them into your work area. You've got two areas on your board. Your preparation area, where once you acquire someone, they sit there. But then you've got to pay for them to go into your work area. How are they going to work for you? Well... Every time you land in a room, you can do an action in that room to score yourself some points. And every person is linked to a particular type of room. So you obviously got your blue your blue explorers are linked to the blue explorer's room. To do an action in the, the blue exploring room, you must have at least one explorer in your work area. The more workers explorers you have in your work area the more powerful your action is in that exploring room so you're trying to group things together you can't do everything you can't have a really powerful action in all of the rooms so you've got to think about where you're going where you're going to land how are you going to get these people into your workforce so that's where the puzzle of the game lies ronan it does and don't you have to pay more if you have more workers or something? As you go down, there are slots on your board that that cost more. So you, the one end is cost maybe one coin, the other end maybe costs five coins. Once you place a person in there, that person is stuck there unless you get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So you can't just keep changing over your one all the time because you will never get that set collection. So eventually, you're going to have to pay the big money to get the third blue or the third green or the third red into into place. And you're playing ahead, aren't you,
1: from memory because. I've played this to learn it, and I mm-hmm. did a rules video, but I didn't ever play it in anger. So yeah. I, you know, so this is just—I I have an impression. I know how the game plays, mm-hmm. but from memory, you might be going into a room with the set you need to activate that room to get the worker in to activate the next room round, and it's all about that triggering ahead. And once you've yeah. triggered a room with, th- let's say, the explorer room as we're talking about with three mm-hmm. explorers, you don't want to do that too often, is that right? Because once you've done it a couple of times, you kind of. You then want to start cycling that set out. You're forced to cycle that set out.
0: Yeah, the the, the set's going to start sliding down anyway, and you're going to start lose you're going to start losing some of those characters anyway. There is a an, another way that you can. It's a of game
1: be- of regeneration. It is. You regenerate. That just came to me. There, yeah, there you go. Yeah,
0: you like that. So obviously, the different color characters allow you to activate the different types of room. If you don't have the right color character, or if you're not in that room, then you can use ambassadors. Now, ambassadors are gained by in the politician area, Ronan. And they can... So if I'm in the blue room, but I want to do a red room action, I can use an ambassador... I can spend a red ambassador to He's do that. tickling
1: red. me somewhere that mm. memory of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can use that ambassador to use that red room action. So you don't necessarily have to be in. I'm hearing you. I learn a lot of rules, Sean. I can't keep, <laughs> I can't keep more than okay. it's a very, very tactical game. You've got to plan ahead. You've got to work out what other people are going to grab when you when they go into rooms.
1: Well, that's 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 a question for you. I jump in there quick. Ooh, go on. But obviously the thing I can't know, okay. playing games to learn them just myself, is the interaction and how much you have to read each other's plans and stuff like that. I don't try and read my own plans, surprisingly. <laughs> um, how much are you looking at the other players and thinking, hold on, if they get that white, that'll really set them up. So you want to grab it off them. Is, is that a big part of
0: your thoughts? Massively, massively. You're thinking about what, first off, yourself, Right, I really need that colour because you, you, you don't move a set amount. You move between one and four spaces. That's right, yeah. So if I take the full amount, then I'm going to get to that one. But I've got two people in front of me, so I've got to really think about what I'm going to be able to get you always you move from character to character. So as the round progresses, your your movements become bigger. If you get what yeah, yeah. so you might have one. There in are each fewer room. characters
1: because they reset. Yeah, they like reset
0: the once. I think it's two or three rooms are empty. Yeah. You reset the whole thing, so you might have two empty rooms that you can't stop in now. So you can't do an action in that room unless you've got an ambassador. Mm. So you, you're then jumping quite big steps around the board to try and get the extra characters into your hand because you must take a character every round. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to. So it becomes very tactical in, do I want to stop Ronan? Do I want to let... Usually. Yeah, usually. Do I want to let Natalie get that one because she's going for the yellow, she's going to get loads of art points. Do I really need to really concentrate? I've got no politicians. I'm going to end up in the in the, in the white room and I've got no politicians to activate that room or do I just take it as, as a, a non-go almost? So you've got lots to think about each turn. So...
1: You you wanted
0: this game, right,
1: for coming out of Essen, and obviously I took it and did the video mm-hmm. and handed it over to you, and I was really intrigued whether that puzzle was going to be strong enough to overcome what I felt was really weak theming, weak presentation, but I thought the gameplay seemed interesting, I just didn't know how that balance was going to work out. So for you, how would the balance work out?
0: I think it needed to be a strong game, Ronan, because you know I like my theme and games, And for me to enjoy an abstract puzzle, I think it had to be very good, and I think it is very good. We played it at Gearstones, and the two people, myself and Natalie, who had already played it with, mentioned how much of a mind burner it was. And they went away and said, "Well, I've got to play something light now because we've been thinking so hard." (laughs) How long was it? Because I didn't think it was that long. Plays it about with four players about an hour and a half.
1: That's what I was thinking. It's not. We say like they were tired. The time from intensity of things. Yeah, the intensity.
0: It wasn't thrown of allegory, it didn't wear them down over time. No, no, it's just that intense. Every time somebody goes, you're watching it thinking, what are you after? I don't want you to get this. I do want you to get this. And then you're trying to almost work out what their plans are going forward. And then when it comes to your turn, obviously the board has changed because it's always changing in front of you. People are taking different things you've got to work out on the, on the hoof. Or, or something. So, yeah, it's it's a, com- it's a complete workout of the mind. And I, you better like, be of the
1: mind, otherwise <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> so,
0: go on, final thoughts. It sounds so, like a positive one. Yeah, final thoughts and the stands around it. It's not the game I thought it was going to be. I didn't realise from afar it was going to be so abstract. And when I first started playing it, I was a little bit frightened by it. I really enjoy it. Natalie really enjoys it mainly because she hoses me every single time i'm not very good at it and it's an abstract game so that means the fact that i enjoy it it must be quite good
1: jolly lovely finishing on a positive note indeed those are our 12 reviews we're gonna be back in a sec and we're just gonna be having some general chat about some other gaming things before we see you out so don't go anywhere
0: Right, so we're back, and this is the section where we just kind of tell you what we've been doing. We could just talk about it rather than tell them what we're about to talk about. No, I want to do this. Okay. (laughs) Sean's got an intro for you. (laughs) Well, we tell people what we've been up to, what we've been backing on Kickstarter, etc. Ronan, what's your first topic?
1: Well, it's what I've been up to. Oh, exciting. Uh, I reviewed Marvel Champions. We reviewed Marvel Champions. We did, yes. And I was like, yeah, going to remember? Yeah, and you've had a little
0: solo play since then. Oh, a lot of solo play since
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've been cracking into it, because I've been working a lot of nights, I tend to be by myself during the day, or even at three in the morning, you've got a little bit of time, there's not a lot going on sometimes. So um, from being lukewarm, I have bought everything that's out so far
0: from denmark
1: some of them from denmark <laughs> because apparently denmark has got english copies and it's only a few quid more to actually get it across because people are marking it up in england anyway yeah the price is like as soon as i think people are getting in some stock not saying it's out of stock waiting for it people to want it and then they put it up for a food and it actually i got uh, the green goblin pack from amazon and the wrecking crew just sold out really quickly just now i got it cheaper from denmark than i got the green goblin one on amazon
0: Yeah, I've bought stuff from Denmark. We talked about it. I bought Fallout when Fallout was sold out everywhere. And it it came really quickly. It was very cheap. I was happy as Larry.
1: So... I've got a stage now where I've played with all the heroes I've got more cards I'm going to start putting together individual decks for the heroes and I'm looking forward to it and one thing I want to say is that you and lots of people said it was like Lord of the Rings and I was like eh, it's not that like Lord of the Rings it is like Lord of the Rings <laughs> <laughs> especially now that I'm getting to building the decks there's four different aspects you can add in they've made it simpler and more obvious of how Ooh. to build decks and stuff they've literally broken it down to you need some basic cards you need the hero cards and then some in between that will Ooh. work with both uh, in Lord of the Rings you were left a bit more and I think Lord of the Rings deck building is a lot deeper because you're combining the three heroes fully rather than here, you're just building a deck for a hero. Um, or two heroes, or one hero, but shut up, Ronan. Anyway, I'm really enjoying it. It's had a renaissance. It's still not the deepest, but when I'm tired and stuff like that, it's almost perfect because I'm still getting that workout. And playing two-handed, it's given me the feeling I wanted to be able to get together the combos and use each hero to, to work off each other. So Marvel Champions is rising in my thoughts,
0: I have gone for it in the in the next trade, the UK maths trade. That so that is a step up from where I was. Jeez. Never going to buy it, <laughs> so I'm now willing to trade for it. I'll end up buying it. We got to play it. We'll play this again. We'll, I'll bring it to. Uh... So, uh, Ronan, my my backing finger on Kickstarter has been twitching, click, click, <laughs> click, click, and I backed the Dark Tower, which has raised over four million dollars. Because, and I mean, there is a because, and I make obviously, I'm making this because up, it. Because it whirls and it turns, yeah. and it's got an hour, and it's exciting, and you're a sad man. And as a child, I always wished I had it. and You could never get it in this. Sean, <laughs> if you buy everything you wish you had as a child. I'm going to get that pony.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you remain massively unconvinced. I'm not sure it's going to... I have a seven-year-old. It will be enjoyed. Oh, yeah, of course it will. And I will enjoy it. I will definitely enjoy playing it, but I definitely did not... How much did it cost?
0: It was about $90, I think. It, was, it wasn't really? cheap. Yeah, 90 to to $100, yeah. I thought it would be more, honestly. No, nah, I went in the, the, the standard. But are you learning? Don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come the backer no, pledge. No, come the no. backer pledge. You know I'm going to add stuff in.
1: Come on. Oh, ever rain late pledges up. By the way, oh, was it? Yeah, we got an email from Grimlord, so you might (laughs) want to have a look at that. I think you might be learning, because I'm going to push you onto your next thing, because you backed something else at the base level. I did back the next, but but this this was a funny one
0: for the levels. Yeah, this was really but really cheap at the base level. Go on, here. This was Rocket Men by Martin Wallace, the latest Martin Wallace game, and it comes from Phalanx. Phalanx. Is it Phalanx? Phalanx. 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 Phalanx? Phalanx? Well, yeah. Phalanx. And Phalanx. Looks like a really interesting game about, about a space race and getting yourself into a space race with, with everybody else. It's a deck and, builder, right? Deck and builder
1: and deck thinner. You deck take the cards builder, in thinner, and you can use yeah. them to either continue deck hmm. building or you take them out of your deck and assign them to projects. Yeah, but then there's some luck
0: based on the projects you draw from project cards. So you got that kind of unexpected.
1: When you're launching the, in the project, you yeah. draw
0: from a deck of cards, and whatever the numbers say, if you reach a certain threshold, you're successful. If you don't, you're not successful. But you can you can stack the limit, the cards in certain ways. But Rocket Men, it was a really I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a. The base pledge was incredibly cheap, like twenty nine euro. Yeah, something like really cheap, like cheaper than you'd get a game if you walked out to the shops now. But there's a mid pledge. The, the mid pledge was with miniatures that didn't look very nice. Well, they were the three D renders that never looked nice. You're but, true, but I just didn't see. And I'm a miniature person. I like a miniature. You're not. You're not a miniature <laughs> person. I'm, I'm a Maxature person <laughs> who likes a miniature. And <laughs> you like playing with your miniature. I get that. <laughs> so I just didn't get it. I didn't. What would they give to the game? Yeah, no, I didn't get it. And either. then it was like 90 dollars to get a few neoprene mats and things added into it.
1: The ninety dollar one seemed like it had some good stuff in it. Neoprene mats oh, and nice player boards and things like that. Yeah. Actually, I looked at that and I thought you should have swapped these round. Because if the mid-tier had those nice player boards and mats and stuff, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's decent. And then the miniatures as the higher one, but just the miniatures just added nothing. Just added, I thought like the, they might make the box bigger, which I really don't need. And it's just a little card game. Also, if I'm spending, if I spend that twenty nine euro, my expectations for that game are going to be realistic. It's mm. going to be a quick deck builder. It's a little bit different. You thin and you add and you, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to a nice little game. Once you start adding, that I spent fifty quid or I spent eighty mm. quid or whatever the hell it was, then I'm like, right, this is better be a good game. Yeah, and I'm not
0: sure the the skeleton Sean will hang that meat. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't hurt when that funding came through, when you got that, we have taken the money from your account. Oh, okay. Don't tell us Oh, that hurt. <laughs> you clown. That's
1: another kiddly sold. Okay, speaking of phalanx
0: Phalalalalanks.
1: Europe. Phala-la-la-la-lanks, ph-
0: well, I could We can yeah. make a song of that. We Gonna say Europe, it's the final countdown. Right, we're
1: on to singing, <laughs> isn't that bad? I was into Peter Andre. Dope that waterfall was in Wales, Do you please know that? Don't. It was in Wales. Hello, but Clarice saw it, remember?
0: It was and cold you, and you went into it. I, I was never there. in the same again.
1: <laughs> 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 I was dehydrated. Okay, Phalanx, yes, Europe divided from the world's worst game designer, uh, Chris Martin. We
0: have to talk about
1: him. <laughs> Hit well, as the world's worst game designer, we do. Um, <laughs> but it's one of the good games like the day. Anyway, Europe Divider's on its way. So yes. I've got the shipping notice. So that's
0: Very good. good. Uh, two other things turned up. Football highlights, 2052. Very jealous. Are I, you? I won it, yeah. yeah. I was growing into baseball highlights, starting to think actually it was a pretty good game. And football was way more my, my, my team. Same
1: here. They're much more into NFL than uh, yeah. than whatever baseball's called.
0: I'm, I'm quite excited about that. Stick hit. L, um,
1: yeah, I am excited. Uh, I, I've I've learned it. There's gonna be a video, hopefully the videos are gonna because the pit stops have <laughs> been nothing. They're gonna start again on the Dice Tower channel, and we will basically things are starting to get a bit more organised and, and calm down a bit. So, I plan the first video to do is football highlights in the next couple of days. So hopefully that will go up. Anyway, well the real point is, about, Firstly, yes, it's quite interesting. I've got like six extra teams with it and things like that. The names of the teams are related to players. So instead of Drew Brees, you get like Lou Crees or whatever, like that. So, but the names of the AI deck are either designers or board game medias. Isn't there a Huddersfield one? There's a Huddersfield banner, there's just a banner.
0: Right. Well,
1: you've you've led me seamlessly, you didn't know this, into the main issue with this game. Go on. did you see my tweet yesterday? No, I
0: didn't. I don't like you.
1: So, you get <laughs> our tweet, <laughs> uh, you get you get. Two scoreboards there. One which can be used for baseball. You, for some reason, they've given you two and three options. I don't know why. Anyway, the you, you know the, the clippy clippies that make the dials. Mm-hmm. So there's four dials, and then you've got to do three other clippy clippies down the bottom to hold yep. in to hold the right. banners, okay. right?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So how do you put them together from like a fancy flight one?
0: You just snap
1: them in. snappy snappy <laughs> You don't need a screwdriver, no. Oh, you need a screwdriver. You need a frigging screwdriver. <laughs> 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 it took me forever. <laughs> I was doing my, that's why I had to tweet. I was doing my pieces. The, all right, slightly my fault. The nearest screwdriver was like one of those little insulated electric ones because I was changing a, a, a light fitting that happened to be one near me. So that didn't make it any easier, but it, it wasn't a massive difference. And you had to screw the things in. And then you're holding it. I was bending the cardboard off the scoreboard while I was trying to screw right in the corner because it's so hard to screw. <laughs> and you can't put it flat on the table because it's not flat on the back. And I, so I've wrecked my scoreboard, screwing in the, It was
0: so hard. Did you not see the note? Go on. The designer put a little note at the bottom. Cretins will not be able to <laughs> well, put this together. Well,
1: that should have been clearer, because I've made it clear I'm a cretin. So for the game itself looks interesting. I think the rule book is topsy-turvy. It does all the explaining of the rules, and then it goes into this is how a round works, which is mm. always find irritating. But anyway, the scoreboard's, oh, drove me mad. Right, the other game that turned up is Cristado which is a pattern-building solo game where you're trying to gather a load of crystals and then fight off a dragon. The reason I mention it is, Sean, because because we've got the return of the pit fight around the corner in a new Redux Remix (laughs) XXXXX. (laughs) and the idea of this is Cristallo is a solo game I've been promising this forever we've got six I have got six solo games I've played I'm doing a pit fight where I take the six and I simply list them from six to one what was my least favourite what was my most favourite and it's going to be a quicker format episode so that's coming shortly and Cristallo is going to be in there now you're going away gaming somewhere Shawnee. You've yeah. written it down in front of you. it's just a, We're going away, games. We're going away gaming somewhere, woot, and Rachel, woot, woot, and Ellie, woot, woot, and woot. Natalie, and the whole crew.
0: Yeah, we're all off to AirCon. Five of us, which is the best gaming number. <laughs> <laughs> Five is the magical number. It's not, is It's it? not. Um, yeah, it's, I think, probably our favourite gaming con out there. Oh, that's the con, Hello. It's probably our favourite game. in not like I can't run here, isn't it? <laughs> Actually,
1: I don't run it at the moment. I've been rubbish.
0: And it's just such a nice venue, chilled out, magnificently run by Mark and the team. Well run. Well run by <laughs> Mark and the team. And uh, yeah, looking forward to going up there. Hopefully we we'll see some of you up there. It's March the 13th to the 15th up in Arrogate. Harrogate. Harrogate.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely weekend away. Harrogate's lovely. I, I just like going up there and chilling. And you, out, after abusing me for getting drunk last year, you're making me go to the pub this year. I am
0: it's not fair. I'm mad for the beer on the Friday night <laughs> so the pub the Irish pub across the road that's where we'll be on the Friday will we <laughs>
1: I, I might be in there
0: steamboats the fr- <laughs> oh,
1: please <laughs> I'm definitely not going to play games afterwards and winning a game afterwards anyway the final thing I wanted to
0: say was go uh, you reviewed horrified recently I did and you had to get it from America. I did, and I noticed. I noticed somewhere behind you that. Oh, yeah, you've got a copy.
1: Yeah, because it's available in the UK. So anyone anyway, in the UK Europe, it's made its way across. It's the um, pandemicish kind of uh, co-op game where you're fighting against the classic Warner. Is it Warner Monsters? Universal. No. Universal, sorry, Universal Monsters. I'm catching up on my Dice Tower videos, and it was in the one of their top ten surprises of the year as well. Tom loves it. Tom loves it Tom it adores it Tom. I think actually no I think Z was saying Tom said he might like it currently more than Pandemic and Pandemic is Z's favourite game and Z said yeah maybe
0: really now it was on
1: oh, in the background while not, I was doing stuff but I didn't it's hear good,
0: that good. it's not that
1: good well we'll see so anyway I'm looking forward to playing that with the kids any other business I don't think
0: so I think uh, I think we can let these good people go jolly good hit us as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download our episodes, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean, and Spotify. We also have our social media. We're at Twitter, at Game Pit Podcast. We have our Instagram page and our Facebook page. Facebook. 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 Facebook <laughs> page. Our Facebook page. Don't forget... That occasionally Ronan does do do pit. Periodically. Ronan does. Sean's also
1: supposed to do pit stop videos. I don't do
0: Ronan is not getting on with. We do our pit stop videos. Find them on the Dice Tower feed. If you wish to contact us, our email is thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. And as we always say, the best place to contact us is on our Board Game Geek Guild. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron